Welcome to a brand new episode of Short Box Summary. I'm your host, George, and we have a first-time guest today. I'm really excited. We've got Nick from the podcast, None of My Friends Like Comics. I've mentioned it before on the show. I don't listen to a lot of comic book podcasts. It's not that I don't like them. It's just that like I'd rather read the book, and I'd rather read the book on my time. But goddamn, do I love None of My Friends Like Comics. Nick, how are you? How's it going? <laughs> I am doing great, George. Thank you so much for having me, man. And thanks for that lovely introduction. That's so nice of you. <laughs> yeah. I think I listened to like three, maybe four shows with people I like. It's just comic book people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know. it's it, Well, I mean, it also, too, it's just uh, it's hard to get in. Uh, I mean, like, I have a lot of friends who do podcasting, too. So it's like I have to, like, drop in, like, every, like, few episodes and get them into, like, a rotation or something. Because, like... I mean, really, I only have so much room to listen every week, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's hard to it's hard to consistently listen to, you know, the 15 shows that I'm friends with and like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's it is. Are you a sports fan by any chance? Not really. No, um, okay. uh, I, I don't have room for that uh, in my life. I used to I used to watch basketball when I was younger, but like it was a, it was quite a uh, quite a long time ago, probably like a good 20 years. I was like, you know. 12 13 when i was uh when i was really following it and i was following the kings i was a kings fan back then so gotcha yeah. I, I fell into a uh a bit of a hiatus last year because it was like oh it's the u.s open i love tennis so i was like oh, yeah. fuck yeah i'm gonna watch all this and then like oh well it's nfl season kickoff oh it's it, all, all like everything just happened at once and all of a sudden i was like i don't release an episode in like six weeks like i should probably <laughs> i should probably do that yeah, no, I feel you. I'm going to try to be better. That's one thing that's cool about your show is it's really hard to fall behind because you are very smart and you do it biweekly and you do incredibly in-depth episodes every two weeks. I loved your Captain, like Death of Captain Marvel episode. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was a, that was a great one. I've been wanting to do that one since the beginning and uh, it was cool that we finally got to it. All right. I jumped the gun a little bit. Why don't you tell us about your show and uh, oh. why, why people should listen? Yeah, Um. Uh, so it's like he was saying, it's called uh, None of My Friends Like Comics. It's basically... Uh, kind of what the uh, title means. Well, it's, it's a bit tongue in cheek on the, the naming there, but um, I just fell into a place where uh, I was podcasting with some friends. Uh, we had a music podcast together and um, uh, that kind of like went on hiatus. And um, I decided that I wanted to do a show about comic books because I just had absolutely nobody to talk to about them. Like, you know, in my daily life. And um, even if I have a friend who kind of likes comics or on the very rare chance that they read them, uh, you know, they're in the shop every week like I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not reading the same stuff. So it's like I, I don't really have anyone to talk about specifics with or just to go through like my backlog and have the context that I have. So I thought it would be great to, in a in a way, like kind of uh, have my friends and family read books that I would like to talk about, uh, you know, for every episode. They read it for the first time and we just do like a deep dive on like, you know, the history of it, the creative teams, and we go into the story. That's usually the bulk of the episode is us just like going through the story, talking about it as we go. It's kind of like a commentary track almost. Mm-hmm. And then we do some overall thoughts and uh, it's just really insightful to hear it from like people who don't normally read comics or haven't read this specific one, you know, and uh, one that you like, you know, I've thought about a lot and plus uh, deep diving them like that. It makes me kind of think about them in like a much different context, you know. It's like when you're when you're having to explain everything foolproof, you know. You you have to be on the money, you know. <laughs> and it's uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, how, how do I convince someone they're not stupid for reading this, and how do I convince them I'm not stupid for liking it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And like, and sometimes you find out that you are a little dumb for liking it, and that's okay. But like, but yeah. So I mean, uh, yeah. It's just kind of a cool thing that I like to view it sort of as like a community builder type thing because, like, obviously, I've had friends who have been on there multiple times now and it's like we're kind of building a repertoire and finding out like what each of them like and uh you know just going through like 
everything from modern day stuff to like, you know, classics from, you know, the sixties and seventies and whatnot. And, uh, it's just, a, it's just a really fun time. Yeah. Very cool. For me, I, uh, th this podcast, it's me revisiting the books I was reading in high school and trying to figure out if they were good or if I was 15. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I feel you. Every time we do a book from basically this era, the two thousands, I'm like, Oh man, I was probably like, 18 when I really dove into this stuff and I'm like, was it as good as I remember? And sometimes not so much, but, uh, that's mm -hmm. okay. It's still, it's still interesting to go back and look at them, you know? Yeah. And I try to keep like a pretty positive look at things just cause like, Hey, at the very least, like you probably saw some cool art, probably had some cool moments. I don't want to dunk on shit that was done 20 years ago. That doesn't seem like especially productive. Um, and I'm really, really happy because we're currently talking about like the color series and I don't think we have to worry about that very much. <laughs> No, not at all. This is uh, this. These are some pretty stone cold classics here that we're talking about, at least. So that's always nice. Mm -hmm. uh, what was um, what was the book that got you coming back to the shop? Ooh, oh man, I think the first like couple of books that like I really jumped on um, was the uh, it was kind of during the Marvel Now era. Mm -hmm. So like um. I uh when when I graduated because we're the same age but we so we graduated two thousand nine yeah I'm assuming yeah so like it was that year that I actually like kind of got into comics but I wasn't really going to the shop for probably like another year or two because like I was just like getting trades and finding my footing really you know I wasn't mm -hmm. sure about like release schedules and things like that yet but I think the one that like really got me in was actually um probably Kieran Gillen's Iron Man because I was a big Iron Man oh guy. okay and and uh. That was I remember like picking that up for the first time and being like, okay, I'm gonna follow this. And then like it just kind of everything else just kind of fell into place, started adding stuff and whatnot. But yeah, it was it was really Marvel and uh the Marvel Now stuff that kind of like got me into the shop going weekly at least. Mm -hmm. I kind of view comics as like an, an infinite highway. And it's always like, oh, what which exit did you get on? Like like where where yeah. where are you coming from? Yeah. I got a, yeah. I got on a little earlier than you. I always like picked up random books. I think my first book I ever picked up was uh, from grocery store and it was like star Wars, dark empire. I, I think was just cause I'm like, Oh shit, star Wars. Like I know what that is. Yeah. Couldn't, yeah. Could barely read by the time I picked it up, but like, Oh, like th that's Luke. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> and then random Spider-Man books throughout the nineties, random X-Men books. I remember being really into onslaught in the nineties, but I wasn't hitting the shop every week until a few years after the book we're going to talk about today is, but it was, 2004 is like right around the time of like uh, Ultimates 2 and Green Lantern Rebirth and and New Avengers. And uh, that's the other reason why I started this podcast is because I just think that was for the longest time I told everyone that was the fucking best era to get started in comics because everything was exciting. I, everything was new. Everything was connected. I kind of hold that in the same regard. And the fact that like, you know, because that's the stuff that I was playing like recent catch up on when I first got into comics, like in hardcore dove in. So like this this era is like that is the same for me. It's like, that's the golden era to me and the gold standard, you know, I just have such nostalgia eyes for it, but like a lot of it really, I've found actually does hold up, you know, a lot of the time as well. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and it's, and it's, it's interesting too, because of how much it has just so clearly affected all the stuff that's even going on now, you know, it's like all the big names that, you know, now that like come onto books every so often, they're a bit more, you know, well, some more than others, uh, you know, Bendis, but like, you know, <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, you get, like, you know, your your Hickman's starting out, you get your, you know, Gillens and all that stuff. And like all these people that are just like, you know, it's a quality book when they jump on it now. Like, you know, it started out in this era and it's, uh, it's fascinating <laughs> to go back to. 
Yeah, I remember the first like Gillen book I grabbed was a uh, phonogram with him and McKelvey. And I was yeah. like, I was like, I know this is really good. I just, I don't think I'm the audience for this book. <laughs> like, yeah. this, this feels like a Gen X fever dream. And I am, I am 14 years old. I am not ready for this right now. <laughs> <laughs> I totally feel you there, man. Yeah. It's, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. There's just a, there's a lot to talk about in this era and how much it just has shaped modern comics in, in such a significant way that it's uh it's, it's important. It's an important era. And I, I love that your show dives into it. That's like, like, like I said, I saw the descriptor of your show and I was just like, Oh yeah, this that this is gonna be the shit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, your show is the show I like almost want this show to be, and I'm like, no, but like, then I then I like see the songs that came out the like the month this issue came out. I'm like, how can you talk about this book without talking about uh, "Follow Me" by Uncle Cracker, the number five song on a Hot Billboard? Like, how could you not mention that? I'm like, well, it's actually pretty fucking easy to not mention it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you just don't have to do it. Uh, I, I love your show. I'm so happy you came on. Thank you so much for being here, Nick. I really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you, George. Yeah. All right. We are here today to talk about Daredevil Yellow. It is part of the color series we have released so far. Spider-Man Blue with Carlos. We did Hulk Gray with, uh, with Andy and Chad from Last Comic Shop. And now we are about to talk about Daredevil Yellow. But before we can yeah. do that, we got to talk about when it was coming out. And... And it's it's confusing, Nick. I don't know any other way to describe it. So Marvel Unlimited has the dates that these books came out, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's the publishing date and then there's the cover date. And the cover date is when you're supposed to pull the book from the shelves because it has sat there for X amount of weeks. Book hasn't sold. You can send it back, try to get some kind of refund. Exactly. So according to Marvel, this book came out between June and December 2001. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's a, that's a it's great time period i guess for my <laughs> for my logic and we're just like it's nice knowing when these books came out i checked out one of my favorite websites comicron which is just i think it's john jackson miller who's actually like a really good star wars comic writer and good star trek book writer i think i don't know i don't i don't really fuck with star trek but uh has like a compendium that is just all this data about comic book sales for however he can get it and comicron has this book actually starting in april going through september so that's I interesting didn't, i didn't know when this fucking book came out i guess is yeah. what i'm getting at uh yeah. <laughs> i'm inclined to trust comicron because they provided numbers and the first issue sold sixty-seven thousand seven hundred and thirty copies that is an estimate by the distributor which um god damn would books today love to sell that that many copies yeah, for real. And especially too, because um, correct me if I'm wrong, this was the first color series of all four of them, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a new concept with this issue one kind of thing. So that's interesting. And Spider-Man Blue came out around the same time as Spider-Man 2, the movie did. This mm -hmm. movie came out years before the Daredevil movie. So yeah, it's not even like a tie in. It's not like, hey, here, look at this. Like, yeah, oh, you're, you're, you're like, a fan of the movie. Idea. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> For, all right, 2001. I didn't know what to do, so I just went with Marvel's dates. So I picked a the middle of the month, June 16th. You're the same age as me. Yes. Also, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I actually graduated in 2008, not 2009. So I feel ah. bad. I feel, I feel like I lied to the audience earlier. <laughs> and, and I'm sorry. I'm still, the Celtics beat... <laughs> the shit out of the Sixers tonight in game two. And I'm just, I'm still riding that high. Yeah. It's... 
Was... You get away with a couple fibs. That's okay. Well, I mean, they <laughs> lost the first game and like Joel Embiid was out and James Harden looked like 2016 James Harden. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, did he go to Germany to get like illegal stem cells? Like, did he find a time machine? Like, like what's actually happening? And then their best player came back and we just beat the shit out of them. It was incredible to see. Um, anyways, like I said, great mood. So I picked June 16th, the middle of the month for Hot 100. Uh, now, I already mentioned song number five was Follow Me by Uncle Cracker. This song was fucking inescapable for me. I don't know about you. It still kind of is. I mean, I work in a pharmacy, so like it's uh it's 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 an every so often uh, uh you know uh pharmacy banger, which okay. are not good bangers. <laughs> um but uh <laughs> not bangers to live by, that's for sure. Um uh, but yeah, it's a uh, god, yeah, this song I mean, I don't know, man. Like I, I okay, I'm I'm a snob more so than anything probably about music and you had a music yeah. podcast yeah so okay. yeah well and I, I play in bands and stuff i've been a lifelong musician and like i uh I, I you know i can't i i like to apologize for my uh you know terrible opinions and uh and, and kind of elitist opinions but yeah this song sucks man i don't know i don't know what to say <laughs> <laughs> this uh, let's see 2001 june 16th so i was this was the summer between i think sixth and seventh grade for me that'd be right i thought i thought it was real sweet uh i remember <laughs> being like oh man at the dance tonight i hope i could slow dance with so and so to this song but um yeah i then i got xm radio and it plays all the fucking time uh <laughs> on, on pop 2k and um it's like it's a fun car song i don't know if it's like a good song song See, for me, I was like, this isn't Black Sabbath. I don't like this, you know? Like, it's like, you know, yeah, I don't know. Even back then, I was just like, you know? I was, I was too self-conscious to to listen to Black Sabbath. I'm like, no, the, the song's going to know I'm not cool enough to be listening yeah. to it. <laughs> <laughs> song number four was Ride With Me by Nelly featuring City Spud. I thought this was like one of the coolest fucking songs I'd ever heard when this song came out. Nelly is like one of those you cannot escape in this. Like, there's a couple years of this era where it's just like there's no way you didn't have a song like on the top ten like at some point. You know, like it's a yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I even really remember this one to be honest. I probably would if I heard it. It's just like one of those that like by the name I don't I don't remember it. You know what I mean? Because we're the same age. Can I ask if you like that show Scrubs? Yeah, there is one episode where they're talking about how broke they were, and then they stole a whole bunch of fucking Jello pudding from the cafeteria, and and is, snuck snuck it into Turk's trunk of his Volvo. This is and sort I, of like in the recesses of my brain. Yes, okay. I, I think yeah, I I'm unlocking a core memory right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, this song plays during that scene, and it was like a big like success for them. They're like, "Oh fuck, we're gonna make it. It's gonna be okay. We got pudding," That's um, <laughs> which sounds really stupid now. That I say it out loud, <laughs> it sounded better in my head. But it was it was a big moment for me to like, oh, this is a cool song playing in a cool show. I like, yeah. and then just all the time it was on the fucking radio. Song number three, probably my favorite song on this this short five list. It's all for you by Janet Jackson.
you talked about pharmacy bangers. I think this song yeah. is an indisputable <laughs> pop banger. It is. It is. I, I've always enjoyed Janet Jackson. Her brand of pop was always a bit more, uh, I don't want to say palatable, like in, in terms of, you know, something else. But like it, it just uh, it was different. Mm-hmm. Like her stuff is different than than your average like pop stuff. And I don't know. I always I always like Janet Jackson. Big, big fan of this song. This was a big house party song for me in college. Uh, people should not have let me plug my iPod into the <laughs> speaker system because yeah. they're going to get a lot of Janet Jackson and a lot of Basement Jacks because yeah. Drunk George loves Basement Jacks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, song number two, Hanging by a Moment by Lifehouse. Another seemingly inescapable song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, <laughs> Lifehouse. Yeah. I think this might be what like, the, yeah, I think this might be like the third or fourth time recently we've talked about Lifehouse. I'm just going to skip it. Listen to yes. old episodes. Also, <laughs> yes. leave, leave reviews. Leave reviews for, for Short Box Summary. Leave reviews for None of My Friends Like Comics. Yeah, there you go. Check out our backlog. And the number one song still, June 16th, 2001, was Lady Marmalade by Christina Aguilera, Lil' Kim, Maya, and Pink. I fucking the most, hate, I the hate most Baz, escapable song. I I, I I fucking hate Baz Luhrmann so much. I think that dude, <laughs> like I fully subscribe to the opcore theory. I fucking hate what this dude did to movies. I hate what he fucking contributes to society. Uh, this song though, I gotta be honest, Nick. After a couple drinks when I'm at a bar and this song comes on, I'm I'm a fucking woo girl for this song. <laughs> like, I, 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 I don't. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't really mind the song. I will say I've avoided the movie somehow my entire life. Like my uh, my wife keeps always being like, "Oh, like you got to watch it," and I'm just like, "Nah, I'm good. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay." Yeah, not not the biggest fan. Uh, let's talk about the movies really quick before we jump in. I just pulled June. 2001 didn't do any specific weekend yeah i'm gonna gonna do six through ten really quickly ten was the movie evolution which i i'll be honest i wrote this list out to ten because this movie was number (laughs) ten i watched this movie with my dad a bunch yeah (laughs) yeah this was like a perfect like hbo saturday afternoon as like a 12 year old movie oh yeah yeah and now i know what selenium is and it's in head and shoulders that's pretty cool (laughs) That will always be in my brain. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Number nine, Dr. Doolittle 2. Eddie Murphy, follow-up sequel. Number eight was Moulin Rouge. I think it Makes came sense. Out earlier. I think it was. <laughs> I think it probably placed higher when it first came out. Number seven was The Animal starring Rob Schneider. <laughs> Ugh, that cannot be good. Jesus. <laughs> it's. I got to be honest. It's not great. Um, the hot chick, not very good either. Um, I think he was a little safer under the Sandler umbrella. Yeah. He got a little more coverage, you know? Uh, uh, uh. Not the biggest fan of him in general, especially nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's <laughs> kind of a tough pill to swallow now. Yeah. yeah. Which sucks because God, did I love Rob Schneider as a kid. I was yeah, always so excited yeah. when like E was doing like SNL reruns and, and like, oh God, it's 
it's the copy making copies on the copier. I was like, this is the funniest thing in the world. He's then, for anyone our age, he's like a necessary step you have to grow past. Number six, Atlantis, The Lost Empire. This is a movie I didn't really engage with as a kid, but I think has since become like a cult following and everyone's just like, hey, you know all those live action Disney remakes you're doing? Where the fuck is this one? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I remember this one, but I don't, it's not one that I remember like watching like a ton or anything like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Number five, one of my favorite bar movies to watch on mute and also a movie I generally just enjoy, Swordfish. Yeah, yeah, Swordfish is great. So I, dude, there's something real special about pre 9-11 action movies <laughs> where it's just like you don't have to feel bad about enjoying them you don't have to think about like the geopolitical repercussions of jack shit you're just like no i'm, I'm not here for a, a long time i'm here for a fucking good time give me a they 90 minute doing what, yeah they were doing whatever <laughs> god incredible uh number four another pre 9-11 action movie the, the original fast and furious i i am a recent uh, I'm a pandemic Fast and Furious fan, um, oh, so, yeah. so I, did, I didn't give it. I didn't oh, give convert, it a shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I was one of those people who like you know kind of mistakenly just assumed like, well, I don't really care about cars. Why would I watch this movie? You know, and then mm-hmm. like just like oh, I don't give a shit, whatever. And uh, then I, I for some reason I think it was when the trailer for Seven came out. Maybe it was Eight. I'm not sure, but I just remember the trailer being so outlandish and awesome that i was like i'm gonna give this a shot <laughs> and then like <laughs> and, then, and then i binged them all like during yeah. the pandemic and i was like i am a fast and furious fan now yeah yeah pardon <laughs> so, the pun but there might be something under the hood we should take a look yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> i remember his junior year of college and i was drunk in my apartment alone after a bad breakup i remember watching the original fast and furious and it was between my junior and senior year and I was like, God, Jordana Brewster is so fucking hot. What, what's her story? <laughs> and I remember like looking her up on Wikipedia and it was like, oh yeah, she actually filmed the original Fast and Furious the summer between her junior and senior year of college. And then I like closed my phone and like threw it across the room because I was just like a fucking loser with like a breakfast sandwich that I got at 1030 PM, <laughs> just like w- watching Fast and Furious by myself. I was That's like, right. ah, isn't a way to live life. We all get I me and uh, me and my wife Elena get get depressed sometimes whenever we watch uh, some modern movies that we really enjoy. Like um, the my most recent example I can think of is from a couple years ago, uh, when we were watching Midsummer and we were mm-hmm. exposed uh, for the first time to Florence Pugh, and uh, who is like easily from that movie like alone, you know, is like one of my favorite modern day actresses, mm-hmm. and uh, like we were like, oh man, she's great. Like, what else has she been in? And we looked it up. And it was like, yeah, a couple things here and there, but it was like she was like 22 or something. And we're like, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm going to sound even older and be like, oh, she was really good in Little Women, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) which is like a sentence uh, people just didn't say for a long time. Like they were talking about like Winona Ryder, you know, and then all of a a sudden Greta Gerwig was just like, oh, no, we can say this again now. Oh, they were really good in Little Women. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, movie number three. Uh, my girlfriend has been on the po- uh, on the podcast several times. I don't think this is one of her favorite movies, but I think if it's on TV, she's like legally obliged to watch it. It's Pearl Harbor, starring uh, Ben Affleck and Josh Hartnett, Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember watching this with my grandpa. It's a very grandpa movie. It's a grandpa ass <laughs> movie for sure. Yeah, and <laughs> I was friends with 
friends. We rented so many movies from the grocery store when I was a kid that we became friends with the people who ran like the video department. And they would just give us movie posters whenever they would get, because they'd get it for displays and shit. And they would get like the VHS and DVD displays. And so we actually had like a cardboard cutout display for Pearl Harbor. And we got <laughs> rid of the base and just kept the top because it was just like an airplane flying. And like, I remember standing that on top of like a cabinet I had like in my room. Yeah. And so I would fall asleep every night just looking at the fucking cardboard cutout of, <laughs> of, a of, of like an Pearl F4 Harbor. Corsair just like flying over debris and, and wreckage below. And I was just like, oh, God, it, it's not a great movie. It's not I Michael Bay's best. Yeah, I, I can't I can't say because I haven't seen it since I was probably like 11 or 12, you know, so like it would it would it would warrant a rewatch from me to get an actual opinion. But I see I, you crushing a lot of uh, liquid death water cans. Yeah. Um maybe just like pour like a nice Pinot Noir and uh revisit this movie just to, you know, was this movie good or was I 12? Like you should you should do, you should do that for Pearl Harbor. Makes sense. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it for Swordfish. Don't do it for Pearl Harbor. Pearl yeah. Harbor, <laughs> Pearl Harbor is strictly fine. Uh number 2, Laura Croft Tomb Raider. I saw the uh, just today uh was out um having some lunch with the wife who we went to a bookstore next to the pizza place and uh saw the novelization of this film. Oh. And I jokingly said, "Do you want this?" and she said, "No." <laughs> if I was your wife, I would have said yes. <laughs> like <laughs> how, how much could it have been? How know? much could it have been? I yeah, it's just like what's more important? What, yeah, what's more important? The, the 95 cents or this book? Probably that book. It's if probably it was more a important. dollar that's that's probably worth having it for a dollar, I think. But, you know, it, it was probably more, I think, yeah. at the place we were at. But <laughs> um, yeah, I think that movie was like a pretty early sexual awakening for me. We don't have to get into that. It's fine. Um, a movie I had was a poster not... in my room. Yeah, no, sure did, too. <laughs> yeah, got... it's just like, wow, they're not polygons anymore, are they? <laughs> and then the number one movie at the box office uh, was Shrek. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, makes a lot of sense. Which I think was the first animated movie nominated for Best Picture. I, I think that sounds right. I think that that movie was the first animated picture for a lot of things. Like in you know, I mean, it seemed to kind of change the course of animation. As silly as that sounds now, but yeah, it does sound silly. But no, it was it was huge. It was like DreamWorks' like first like real big hit because I was like the Steven Spielberg production company. That I remember the Peacemaker came out in 1998 with George Clooney, where he yeah. had to defuse a nuclear bomb, and I remember. Like, even as, like, an eight or nine-year-old, I was like, I don't think this movie's very good. <laughs> like, whatever the fuck that means to a second grader. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We've set the stage. We are back in 2001. Thank you for putting your shoes on and walking back all those years with me. People of listening. Course. And Nick, especially. <laughs> Daredevil Yellow. Part of the color series. This is maybe my favorite one of all the color series. I think it's the strongest, I think it makes the most sense. Maybe the I, Hulk, maybe the Hulk makes the most sense. I don't know. I think maybe it's because it's the first one, as you pointed out. Yeah. I mean, Daredevil, I think out of all of the um, characters that these books focus on is probably my favorite character mm -hmm. out of all of them. However, I, I kind of have a, I have a soft spot for Captain America white. Okay. And I, I almost actually picked that one, except for the fact that uh, I'm probably going to do that one on my show <laughs> this summer at some fair, point. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, 
I'll do Daredevil. And then I, without realizing that I stole it right from under the nose of uh, Sean from uh, the caption life. And uh, <laughs> it's like one of the biggest Daredevil fans that I know. But um, <laughs> Sorry, he's actually way. he's actually coming on the show to do Captain, Captain America. America yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I I don't know. I, it's definitely I like it more than Spider-Man, even though I really like Spider-Man Blue. I like it more than Hulk Gray and Hulk Gray. I, I would probably put at the bottom of my personal list, although oh. I still think it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think all of these are at least like around like, you know, an eight out of 10 kind of range, you know, like a high, high, high school. Yeah, you do on your show, you do pull it or dump pull it. it or drop it, pull it or <laughs> yeah, drop it, pull it or drop yeah. it. And so these, yeah, these are all pulls. Like even these the are worst, all pulls. even the worst one of the color books still pretty fucking good. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they, they all, uh, they all hit and they all hit very well and intentionally how they're supposed to hit, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, just in terms of favorites, like this one's in the top two for me, sure. But it, it probably rotates with Captain America white a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, like a, just a, just a great series. I, I do think that it's, uh, interesting that this was the first one, uh, considering that with it being what we were saying, like a new concept and whatnot that they didn't start with your Spider-Man or something like that. You know I mean? Like it's uh that usually, you know, they Marvel jumps the gun to always like start something off with Spider-Man because at least it's a guaranteed, like putting your best seller foot forward, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting too. We've talked about Spider-Man blue. We talked about Hulk gray and now we're talking Daredevil. Yellow. I think it's really interesting that this book is so firmly planted in early two thousands continuity, right? Because like this book, the the conceit of it is uh, Matt Murdock in the present time, you know, then present is writing letters to Karen Page, who his mm-hmm. his deceased ex girlfriend, ex ex lover, whatever whatever label you want to put yeah. on, yeah, who had and only she, died a couple years prior. Yeah, she had just recently died in like the Kevin Smith Joe Casada Daredevil run that was like such a big deal for Marvel, right? Like helped turn it around out of bankruptcy, which is I don't think a point we've really stressed enough on this podcast. It's like oh, with Mar- no, Marvel yeah, Knights in general. Yeah, th- yeah things were like... pretty fucking bleak there actually for a minute for Marvel, and then they just brought in top tier talent or at least you know eye catching talent and uh, started selling a lot of books. And so this is part of the Marvel Knights line. And it really does feel like an additional book to the current Daredevil series, as opposed to, I think, Hulk Gray, which just feels like a standalone book that reexamines Silver Age Hulk and Spider-Man Blue, which I I think also could technically tie into like then modern day Marvel, right? Because like Spider-Man and MJ were married at that point and it's him revisiting Gwen Stacy's death and just like how important she was to him. But like this book in particular really does feel like it I don't want to say it was like a must read because like it didn't didn't have anything to do with like the then ongoing continuity of Daredevil besides the fact that Karen Page was confirmed dead. Yeah, I, I think that um this book is the only one that doesn't necessarily cement itself in a super bygone era like the other ones do. Like even the Hulk one, you know, kind of feel it has a lot of uh, 60s touchstones to it and whatnot. And um, mm-hmm. obviously... The Spider-Man one uh, reflects a lot on uh, 70s continuity. Um, Captain America focuses a lot on the 40s stuff, like before Marvel was even a thing. Right. And um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, this one, it's like they hadn't um, fully established like, oh, this is what these books should be. But it does work for Daredevil in a sense that like, you know, he's always kind of um, dependent. I think Daredevil more than any Marvel character is just dependent on 
the eras of like the creative team or writer who's overtaking him at the time. So it's like he, he's kind of this is going to sound like a negative thing, but he's kind of in the same place every time. And it's just like, what can you do with this idea? You know, and and then they let them go. It's not really defined by uh, decade eras like a Spider-Man or a Hulk or even a Captain America would be. So it, it kind of works in the sense that like, it's like, oh, well, this recently happened. Um, let's do this reflective series like right here about him. You know, I mean, it, it works. I think that's a good point. I feel like a lot of Daredevil series are kind of chasing the born again high, right? Where it's yeah. just like, how do we break this character down to like the most minimum amount of components? And then how do we build them back up? And this, yeah. this book, I feel like doesn't do that. Or maybe it was the, the original sin of doing that, right? Where not, not the original, because born again is the original sin. But like the fact that like his father's death was so prominent here. And, and then every other story is just like, how do we destroy fucking every square inch of Matt Murdock's life? Yeah. How do you make him the most miserable? And what do you do? And like, it's uh, yeah, there's so much. Um, Daredevil is such a uh, interesting character to dissect in the terms of just like why, why people even like him you know <laughs> like i guess because like there's just there's so many facets of like how he works as a character and he's he I'll, I'll probably mention this later at least as well but like the best thing about daredevil as a character isn't necessarily like that he's super interesting or that he has like cool powers or he has that kind of appeal but the fact that he's in this nebulous area where he's never top tier in terms of popularity but he's never bottom tier he's right in the middle where editorial and corporate like you know ideas don't look so yeah. like whoever gets a hold of him can kind of just take creative reins and do really cool stories that's why he has such a great track record for for runs because like marvel ain't really watching you know <laughs> like they're just he's, like <laughs> yeah he's he's the closest thing to like an indie book that marvel has and i don't mean indie exactly. as as like an image book i mean indie is like no, I'm talking fucking 90s, like, fuck corporate. Yeah. You know, like, well, let's just, just tell the, our story. Yeah, the parameters that they're able to go with him. Like, mm -hmm. uh, there's, you know, the boundaries are a little uh, a little bigger for Daredevil, I think, than compared to, you know, obviously something like Spider-Man or, you know, these other characters that have a color series, at least. I'm glad you mentioned just, like, how many runs daredevils had that have been great because like i remember I, I came late to the bendis era like i actually remember the first issue i bought of that was i think issue 70 which was like yeah this second to last arc like it was like the decalogue books and i just remember seeing the cover of like i am not your god right it was like the cover yeah. of him just like saying there was like a silhouette fucking uh i don't know if it was mac or malib who did the cover i think it was malib but it's just malib like, was oh. doing them at, at that and time it's I just think, like yeah. oh this is so goddamn cool <laughs> like i was like at my local bookstore being like well i can't not leave with this and uh so i came late and then just like retroactively checked it out it's just like i read the bandits run i'm like this is the best daredevil run like th there's no way a book could be better than this and then a couple years later for christmas my brother gave me like the frank miller books like back when they were doing like you know daredevil by frank miller like the three volume set and yeah. I, I was reading that i was just like oh well no actually this is the best daredevil run and then uh, Ed Brubaker and michael lark came on i was just like oh well this is the best daredevil run and it did it again with Mark Wade and Chris Samney. Did it recently with uh, Chip Zdarsky and yeah. uh, Pablo Co Coelho, I think. Uh, Marco Cicchetto. Marco Cicchetto, sorry. Yeah. Um, but it's just like every time I read a Daredevil book, I'm just constantly being like, 
okay no actually this is the best daredevil book i agree man i mean like i, I even have it's it's a little overlooked right now i think that there's not enough time to have the nostalgia for it but i even really like the charles soul run <laughs> Like, I, you know I mean? dude okay yeah i i didn't read that that was when i couldn't afford comics i was like broke yeah. living like post-college life and then like i was so fucking confused by some of the zadarsky run stuff that i went back and checked it out i'm like god damn it no this is pretty good too yeah <laughs> like, zadarsky's been killing it yeah i i've i've been enjoying that run so much but yeah it's uh that's that's the, the thing is like too you know i mean i think i was on a uh i was on a show not too long ago uh, the panel to panel podcast with uh, Marty and Bash. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking, we somehow got on a tangent about Daredevil. And I always make this joke about how like, I never really looked at, this is what I was talking about with his character and whatnot, but I never looked at myself as like a Daredevil fan. I read the Frank Miller stuff because it was Frank Miller and I was getting into Frank Miller, you know? And like, yeah. and and I loved it. It blew me away. And, uh, but I was like, Eh, I don't know if I'm that into Daredevil. And then one day I woke up and I had like two full shelves of Daredevil books. And I was like, I think I really like Daredevil. You know, like it was just like randomly like one day. Like, no, it's you know, it's yeah. like finding out your house has ants. And you're just like, yes. how, like how the fuck did you get here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like an absurd amount of Daredevil books. And like, and, and you know, it's yeah, I don't know. It's it's this weird kind of I don't have a a, a relationship with like a mainstream like you know marvel character like i do with daredevil and it's uh it, he's he's very special to me i think um just in the way that like like we were saying you just uh you get so much quality in there and mm-hmm. it's just like i've discovered so many creative teams that writers artists and you know everything like just by sheer of like being like it's a daredevil book it's probably really good yeah and like this is the book that introduced me to david mack which i will like forever be grateful for because i'm just like oh man the way he mixes mediums is just so fucking cool to look at and no one else does it so like oh it's not only is it cool to look at it's special to look at you know he's one of the absolute best yes i love david mack yeah um let's switch gears a little bit to talk about this story specifically. So we mentioned that it kind of ties into like the Kevin Smith, Joe Quesada daredevil run for Marvel Knights, 1998, mm-hmm. I think uh, is when that daredevil book came out. And this is not quite like an epilogue to her death, but like sort of kind of a, maybe a coda to, to her death. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it can kind of exist in like whatever nebulous time they need it to basically. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And uh, this I can't remember which book I grabbed for. I mean, honestly, I might have grabbed the long Halloween first. I think I was more of a Batman kid. Just when I was like four years old, I thought Batman Returns was like the peak of cinema. Um, yeah. You know, so might have might have grabbed long Halloween first, just seeing like the way Tim Sale drew Batman. Mm-hmm. But this is one of the earlier Daredevil stories I can remember reading. And I don't think I came to this until after the movie. I think I was 12 when the movie came out, 13 when the movie came out. And uh, really liked it because I apparently had not seen a lot of movies at that time. And there was there was <laughs> moments in that movie that I thought were really good and made me curious enough about the character. And the way I treat these color books specifically is like I have a hard time reading a lot of Silver Age stuff. I think it's like mm-hmm. really fucking wordy. And um, it just shows like a clear distrust between the writer and the artist where like the writer's just like, well, no one can tell what the fuck that is. So here, let me let me just like explain to the end yeah. possible degree what what's happening here. Or it's the writer being like being like, well, everyone reading this is a fucking idiot. So, you know, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, yeah, either, either or probably probably yeah. the latter. Uh, so I generally pretend that these are the Silver Age and I'm just like, oh, I want to read like an old school vibe of this character. 
it's, and it's I, a pretty great check out the color stories yeah yeah it's it's a great distillation of that you know i mean like yeah i mean if you're gonna read it in like a modern context like this is the place to go mm-hmm. for these characters at least that they were able to do this for but yeah i think um similarly to you like with uh this creative team at least like I'd read a lot of Jeff Loeb stuff before I read anything that he did with Tim Sale, but I think the first thing that I read of them uh, together was uh, the Catwoman uh, win in Rome. Oh, okay. And, um, which, uh, which I really loved and um, still do. But um, I think shortly after that, I kind of did the same where like I, I found the color series and uh, this was the first one I read as well. Um, and then I think I went Spider-Man Hulk. And then uh, when, uh, by the time Captain America finally fucking came out, it was when I was already going to the comic shop. So I got those in the single issues, you know, Dude, it was so pretty because spoilers, we're going to talk about this with the uh, caption life. Uh, when, when they come on to talk about Captain America, what fucking issue zero comes out in 2008. And yeah. then issue one doesn't come out until 2015. Yep. Fucking weird. Right. Jesus yeah. Christ. Like, <laughs> the fact that I bought one book when I was in high school and the fact that I bought another, like the next book when I was, basically in grad school right i was just like <laughs> jesus christ yeah. like like i went what to the happening? comic shop and i was just like wait is this the same book and the guy was like yeah yeah it is i'm like oh gee. like i i i took a couple of years off of comics just because i was broke living in la and uh, yeah. I, just, I could not believe it was the same series and i was really happy to get one more color book <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, yeah true enough yeah <sighs> all right uh our friends at the, the last comic shop podcast uh, brought up a, another book about Daredevil that I actually haven't read. So I'm going to defer to you. They brought up Daredevil Man Without Fear. Yes, um, that is to me. I said it on the episode that we did it on. None of my friends like comics. Um, this is the uh, definitive Daredevil origin to me, Man Without Fear. Okay. Um, so. I. I love that book like more so than a lot of uh like origin story books that i could think of you know and uh it's just um it's it's great it's it's a uh and and i had actually read that before i read this and to be completely honest with you i thought that this was like such an inferior version (laughs) (laughs) you know but but that could just have been like 18 year old me being like there's no like, you know, fuck. He's not breaking any bones or whatever, you know. And like, you know, I don't know, but like, it, it was. It's so they are so incredibly different, and this one is so much more of that. You know, I mean, like, if you know the tone of the color series, it's like you know, it's very like wistful and kind of like you know, uh, starry, yeah, starry eyed, yeah. and and whatnot. And um, man without fear is not fucking that, you know. Like it is, uh, no, that's it was like the the 90s are fucking going to hell in a handbasket. Um, and Frank Miller and John Romita Jr. were like, We're gonna fuck shit up and make yeah, Daredevil but... cool as hell, you know? Like, <laughs> and it was, and it to me, it still works, you know? I mean, like, I, I love Man Without Fear. One of my favorite issues of all time is uh, issue two of that series when he they do the depiction of him meeting Electra for the first time in college. And I'm a big Electra fan, and uh, it's just it's just beautiful, but also just like so raw and like, I don't know, like it's, it's like I said, one of my favorite books of all time. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard for me at the time to like read this. And I think my mindset at the time was more just like, I thought it was just like a boring version, you know, right. <laughs> but like, and also full disclosure too, I still kind of feel this way. I don't really give a shit about Karen. 
<laughs> like I've never, I've never cared about Karen. I, I kind of thought she sucks most of the time. You know, I mean, like she's, I, 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 I like tracking her arc, like her whole entire character arc up to her death is interesting because like mm-hmm. she really does kind of live like a full fucking life, you know? Like, in oh yeah, no, she's basically, she's like Jenny from Forrest Gump, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and, and, uh, and it's, it's interesting to see that, but like to me, and, and it's not really the fault of her character. It's more just that, you know, up until I, I would say even like the eighties and mainstream comics. And even then it's very, very rare, but like, women characters support characters were not written very well mm. <laughs> and uh, and were not written to be interesting characters they were meant to be a trophy for the the main character of the book the main main right. character of the book and uh you know and karen to me never got out of that and by the time that they were starting to write good female characters Frank Miller got a hold of her and just made her like addicted to heroin and like someone who sold Matt's like identity to the kingpin. So it's like, you know, well, born like, again, born again is really good, but yeah, yeah. Not, not very, not very kind to Karen at all. Yeah, and then, exactly. And then Kevin Smith picks up those threads and it's just like, Oh, and, it's just like, have, and then she dies. Yeah. I have AIDS <laughs> and I'm going to get murdered by bullseye. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're like, Oh man, that's rough on Karen, you know, but like, yeah, it's like, so to me, I was just like, well, who gives a shit about Karen? It should be about Electra, you know? Like it was that yeah. that was my mindset. Yeah. <laughs> OTP, baby. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I I don't know. So so that's that's just a couple of things that were kind of going against me when I first read this book. I have obviously since then kind of uh been able to reflect and realize the um caliber of this creative team. And uh, I guess we'll just uh, see how I feel about it as we uh, as we go along here. But yeah. Yeah. No, you're you're right though. And like this is probably like one of the better standalone Daredevil stories to pick up before the movie came out in 2003. Oh, I think, for sure. I think that's what I did. And so it, it very much felt like Spider-Man Blue where it just felt wrong because like Spider-Man Blue, he's just pant like uh, pining over Gwen Stacy, right? And I'm like, who the fuck is Gwen Stacy? Because like my intro to Spider-Man like was the cartoon, which like she was kind of in like the 1992, 94, whatever it was, animated series. yeah. But I didn't really remember because it's all about Mary Jane. And then the movie comes out and then it's really all about Mary Jane. It's like, who the fuck is Gwen Stacy? Why does he care so yeah, much about her? And then exactly. this this book, the same thing where it's just like, no, man, like saw the movie. It's just like, oh, no, Electra is it like who the, who the fuck is Karen Page? And then I didn't reading, even put that together. But yeah, that would that would lead you to be like, who the fuck is Karen? You know, <laughs> yeah. And then, <laughs> like, and then reading know. the book and like as like a fan now, I'm like, oh, like, you know how like you just like look at someone who just is having a bad day and you're like muffin. And now it's like Karen. It's just like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like she went through so much. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, I feel bad for you, Karen. Daredevil Yellow issue one, like I said, might have come out in April. Marvel Unlimited has it listed as June. So we're just going to go with the Marvel Unlimited dates. They wouldn't lie to yeah. us. Right, Nick? Nah, yeah. nah, nah. They, would, they, would, they would never. Uh, June 5th, 2001, uh, by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale and Matt Hollingsworth on colors, and I believe Richard Starkings on letters. That is right. Oh, cool. I did that all from memory because I forgot to write it down. But I'm like, no, they did it for Spider-Man Blue. They probably got the same team. Uh, it does say, I think there's another letterer credit, but I don't know if that's just uh, it's probably not for that issue. But there's like it's Richard Starkings and then it says Comic Crafts Wes Abbott. Oh, OK. That makes maybe sense they switch letters. Also, I don't know. Also did Hulk and uh, and Spider-Man. So we're, Spider-Man. we're just going to say we're just going to say that's the creative team for the entire series. Yeah, so. it, it is. I mean, yeah. OK. <laughs> 
All right. Chapter one is called the championship season. Matt Murdoch, AKA daredevil writes a letter to his old love, Karen page after her passing at the recommendation of his work partner, foggy Nelson. He dances across rooftops as the vigilante daredevil and ends up at Fogwell's gym where his father used to train and reminisces about him. We're back in Matt and Foggy's law school days. After getting lunch with Matt's gregarious father, a boxer who used to be known as Battle and Jack Murdoch, they see him fight Victor Creel for a chance at the title. Battle and Jack's manager, a guy called The Fixer, tells him to stay down. That every other fight he's won was fixed and this would be no different. Defiantly, Jack rises and knocks out Creel with a right hook, which is interesting because he's a southpaw. He's a lefty. That, yeah, yeah. Is, is that going to matter? I don't know. After the <laughs> you like fight, to mention that a lot. <laughs> God, they just never fucking shut up about it. <laughs> <laughs> After the fight, Jack gives Matt his yellow robe, says he'll meet Matt and Foggy at his apartment so they can go out and celebrate. At home, Matt hears sirens and instinctually fears the worst. His father was killed and left for dead in the street. Matt takes the two men he knows to be responsible to court, but the case is dismissed. After graduating law school, he opens his dad's old footlocker and takes out his robe. He stays up all night sewing and stitching and creates the original Daredevil costume, which is yellow and maroon, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, the yellow and the yellow and red. Yeah, it's a, yeah, the, a goofy look. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was 60s as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, I think that it, sort of like the uh, the Hulk um, in his original six issues of being like gray instead of green, like uh, Daredevil was only had this costume for the first six issues, I think, of yeah. publication. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, I like this issue. I do think it's very interesting to, I mean, I guess because, you know, he's reminiscing about his dad in particular, he would go to like, you know, his last days. But I thought it was interesting that they kind of just skip over his superpower origin. Yeah. You know, we don't see the truck. We don't see him like, you know, get the powers and stuff the, like that. The it's radioactive like, isotope is, I think, mentioned yeah. in like issue five. That's like the first time it comes up. It really trusts that, you know, Daredevil. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's like it. it this is a it's this this issue, I think, more than any of them, with the exception of like, I mean, like the common thread is that like he's writing these letters to Karen, like the foggy gave him the idea to do that, to kind of like help him cope and let go. And like but this one more than anything seems focused on like oh this is like an in memoriam for her you mm -hmm. know and 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 he's dealing you know and uh the rest is kind of like you know a through line story especially when she actually comes into the book it's more uh narratively kind of i guess exciting but like yeah i don't know i i i think that this is a good issue i i really enjoyed the scene of watching uh uh jack uh go out to dinner with foggy yeah Matt, yeah <laughs> and he like shakes the ketchup bottle or the the barbecue sauce bottle and it like gets on this like way too young for him woman uh oh it's like all over thing. her like exposed back and he's, he's exposed just back. like and then she's excuse and then he's me like, guys hey, honey, let me help you like you know and it's just like oh is he like a creep for it <laughs> i don't yeah, know is that, is that a move like is that like the uh like what what is it like the the stop and reach that like they do on seinfeld right where like you slam on the brakes <laughs> yeah. and then like you like put your arm across to stop them from going forward and that's just yeah. like how, that was how frank costanza like touched estelle's boobs for the first time <laughs> or whatever <laughs> it's it has kind of that vibe like in the modern context but yeah, I mean, like, I think it's just supposed to be like, you know, like Jack is just like, ah, he's a rascal and he's a cool dad or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, I will say, too, um, most of the common depictions that we have of Daredevil, at least nowadays, and I cannot for the life of me remember how it is in the original issue. But it is peculiar that uh, Matt is like in college and he's like an adult when his dad dies in this. Usually he's a kid, um, you know. 
Like, yeah, and, and then it ha- has to go hang out with some nuns for a bit, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's like kind of a big part of like why he's uh, his upbringing is so different, established in like the Frank Miller books and whatnot, because it's like he you know grew up half of his childhood as an orphan, and uh, it, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's kind of an interesting thing, and I'm wondering because these books are kind of you know like we were talking about these kind of rose tinted glasses towards like the uh, the the Silver Age and whatnot. If uh, maybe this is more accurate, I, it's been a while since I've read the original Daredevil issue. I probably should have done that before we did this, but no, um, you're, would, you're you're good, my guy. <laughs> I would I would tr- I would trust that they would have done that because that's probably how it was done in the original book. You know, like uh, it, it that would make sense at least. Yeah, but also there's like there's no mention of stick in this book, and like he talks about his training, and it's like. Did what fucking training? Like you were living with your dad, you were blind, <laughs> and just like you were at the gym, like were you just like doing a lot of push-ups? Like when you talk about like your train, like what does that mean? Because like yeah, the, the training really only makes sense with like stick, stick right? and, like, and and all of that stuff. Like growing up, yeah, it's like I I don't know. He does mention the fact that like because because you know he it, Jack says it I think in this issue, but he says the thing about how uh, he doesn't want him to grow up to be a what is it a, a pug. Or something uh, like that. Yeah, <laughs> an uneducated <laughs> pug. Yeah, yeah, an uneducated pug. So like he does mention like you know the fact that he's like oh I don't want you to like be like me and all this stuff. So it's like we know that Matt eventually turns his back on that. He is like his dad in a lot of ways. But yeah, it's um I, I don't know. It's it's a good issue. I love the sequence of you know it, it's always very powerful and I, I love it in Man Without Fear as well. But when Jack basically says fuck you to the fixer you know mm-hmm. and like and, and then kind of like wins the fight anyway because he knows that like his son is watching him and it's always very powerful too because it's always like a subtle moment in man without fear you know he's he gives like kind of more of a little speech in this one he kind of just tells him to fuck off <laughs> but <Right>. like <laughs> but but i like that because like even though matt is in the crowd and he's far away it's like you can infer that through his powers like he heard his dad like stand up for himself and that's right. always like a very powerful moment you know mm-hmm. I, there's some interesting quotes i might save a bunch of them because i think they will be relevant later but uh this quote at the end of the book i think is is kind of special where he says i had read about the fantastic four and spider-man but they weren't going to get involved in my problems i had promised my dad i would never be an uneducated pug like him he wanted me to be a lawyer and i made good on that but it wasn't enough I had seen the law, which I steadfastly believed in, wasn't always the same as justice. Mm-hmm. That's that dichotomy. I mean, like him fighting with it. Um, I feel like uh, it's it's a little relevant in a later issue in this, but this book does do a great job of really showcasing the differences between Matt Murdock of like who he instinctually wants to be mm-hmm. and who he thinks he should be in terms of like his education and like what he was brought up to do by his dad. Yeah. Um, there's a that's another interesting thing about Matt is is that dichotomy of like, you know, the you have the stone cold Catholic guilt and then the guy who just wants to like be in the spotlight and kind of bang chicks and stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, see, any other things stand out from this opening issue for you? There, I mean, there's a bunch of like sweet quotes. Right, and a bunch of, like, um, I, I do think it's interesting. I mean, I don't have a disability the way the way Matt Murdock does, but the way he's so kind of, like, glib about it. And so he's talking about his, his father. He says, a fight manager named The Fixer and my dad over the hill when he was 40 kept winning. I can't imagine which one of us was more blind. You know, and so just like that, 
that honestly i think is like actually kind of i don't want to say like special and singular to jeff Loeb and tim sale but it seems to be like a recurring theme where like everyone is so hyperly self-aware of their own flaws and yeah. make make no means to like hide it you know like yeah like almost um you know, it's, I mean, I think everybody has those moments in, in their own life, um, you know, where it's like, you know, you just look at your naivete, I guess. And mm -hmm. it's like, oh, like, why did I think that? Or, or why couldn't I see that, you know, and all this stuff. And, uh, yeah, uh, Loeb and Sale are really good at depicting it on the page, like, you know, just to, in the, in the images and words, obviously, but like, um, yeah, just like showing the vulnerability of like these, characters and like and i mean that's kind of the point of like these books i guess or what became the point of these books is showing that and uh yeah it it this being the first one and whatnot now was we were talking about before like you know was that like maybe the idea wasn't 100 percent fully formed yet for like what these color books were but this is like you know it's just pouring out of jeff Loeb in the script where it's like he's just oh yeah like you know that we're getting the, the inner thoughts you know <laughs> like yeah. and, and just really making these guys human which is cool. Yeah, no, it's it's why we're here, right? Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> Daredevil Yellow number two, uh, again, Marvel Unlimited date of August 31st, 2001, chapter titled The Measure of a Man. Daredevil breaks into an illegal gambling hall being run out of his father's old training gym and beats the ever-living shit out of a man named Slade, one of the two people he holds responsible for his father's death. He leaves him immobilized and seeks out the fixer, tracking him down by smelling his extremely and specifically pungent cigars. Yep. <laughs> he chases him down a subway entrance and onto the tracks when the fixer's heart gives out and he dies on the spot. The police arrive and Daredevil leaves the fixer's body with them. Back at Nelson and Murdoch law offices, Foggy spends all day interviewing candidates for office secretary when finally the last interview pans out. Matt enters the office and Foggy introduces their new secretary, Karen Page. Yeah, yeah. So we get the introduction to Karen here. I have to say, like, so when he's hunting down Slade, there's that full page of just his face holding the gun mm -hmm. like to him. And it just says uh, he's describing how it felt, um, you know, finding these people. And his inner monologue says it was thrilling. And then he just has the one speech bubble where he's talking to Slade and he says, testify. Yeah, and it's like that is like a fucking like that's one of the coolest pages and like one of the coolest like beat moments like in this story where it's like just, you know, you read it's like these two little simple phrases and then it's just like that's the full page and it's like this is really it, it makes it super tense and also like you're like, oh, like he's kind of scary. <laughs> you <Yeah. know>? like, <laughs> like, <laughs> Despite being in this like flamboyantly yellow costume. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I know this dude is uh, oddly terrifying. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like I would be afraid of a person who looked like that coming at me. You know, like it's mm. like, especially like those. Uh, I think it's kind of a theme where like he has the uh, double splash page on the second like page turn, like in every issue almost. Um, yeah. Uh, and and this one, um, it's him like going through like you know the gangsters facility. He's like roughing up like their poker game or whatever, and like uh, but it just shows the still images of him like bouncing around and stuff and it's just like he's just unstoppable and like and, and then he grabs a gun and puts it to your head and it's like oh shit you know yeah it's, <laughs> it's really it's really interesting because i think tim sale is like up there with a 
very few artists where like they are who I consider like you know like the renaissance like old masters of of comics like at least for like the modern era right like you got him you got Alex Ross we talked about Marvels recently on the book and it's just one of those things where like their art is oddly specific but impressively timeless at the same time right like yeah. their shit really stands out and it's just like you'd think a book like this the way it's it's illustrated like with these washed out colors and and like heavy brush strokes like oh there's no way you can convince like movement right or momentum and tim sale just does such a fucking excellent job of just showing daredevil swinging through a room and like you can see the weight like you can figure out like the exact ledge he like held on to so that like his body is is like uh, equalizing out to like where it's where you're seeing it like in the present moment right like with all those like past flashback movements that they do to to show yeah. movement and it's just so goddamn impressive man yeah it's cool he's like he he just has a way of making it even in like those because a lot of these panel layouts too i think um this one this issue not so much but like there's not like a lot of panels overall compared to a lot of other artists like in whatnot yeah. of especially from this time and like but he can convey that like dynamicism in like the characters like even with just like two images like on a page or something you know like it's a it's 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 very convincing it never like my eyes never like oh this looks still or this looks like you know like you know whatever like you know mm-hmm. like it's it's all it's all engaging and it's all moving constantly there were a couple i think good quotes here uh in the beginning when he's like still like through the conceit of like writing letters to karen he has this line where he says my hope is by remembering the past i can help myself in the present and i think that this is like a really interesting line to take in the context of like this is an additional book to be reading to the mainline daredevil book and just like a completely like it just feels like a philosophical quote if you have no context for that right like it just feels like oh here's like an important thing that here's an important thought that this man had that he shares about just like living right it's just like oh you need to understand your past but no it it, like it plays into the ongoing daredevil book at the time but it's just like a phil it's like a fucking fortune cookie if you're not reading that yeah yeah no you're right i mean like uh he he has a couple of like little nuggets throughout the series that are just like oh like this really like this does get you into the psyche of matt murdoch quite a bit um through this context of him writing the letters to karen and like i uh i I don't know the one that really stuck out to me in this issue at least because i think it's the first mention which is one that he keeps going back to after this but it's when he um is you know talking to karen through the letter and he says uh for the first time that uh uh, she was the first one to call him the man without fear. Yeah. And uh, and I think, hang on, let me see it here. Oh, yeah. So he says, uh, yeah, he's like, Karen, you were the first one to call me the man without fear. I liked that, even reveled in it. I was, am, will always be so much like my dad. Mm-hmm. And you're like, fuck, dude. <laughs> like, well, <you> know. <laughs> there's that. And there's this other quote that pairs great with that, where he says, like, where he's talking about his father. And he says, I just kept letting him believe that I was like any other blind kid. And my dad kept winning fights he had to have known were fixed. But he was too proud to admit what he had done, afraid of what I would think of him, a father and son afraid of each other. Yeah. And so just like feeling powerful because of Karen and the way she saw him, you know, like that was like what actually gave him strength. Like she was his Samson's hair. I yeah, think. I don't know. I'm not very familiar with the Bible. I, sh- I should not have made that reference. <laughs> that was a pro- Project Superpowers comic that I read. It sounded like, right oh, to yeah, me. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, no, man. I yeah, there's just a, a lot of great like little nuggets into like 
who he is and how why he feels the way that he does, especially like in uh, remembering this story the way that he is at this mm-hmm. moment. Um, uh, I will just say that not not like it's a bad thing. It's actually very quaint and kind of uh, and kind of you know sweet, but like it's kind of funny on the moment where um uh, after the fixer dies of a heart attack on the train tracks, the cops find Daredevil. Oh, and they're th- like, "Thank you, yes, <laughs> a thousand percent, yes." <laughs> so the cops come down and they're like, "Like, hey, what are you doing here? See or whatever, you know?" <laughs> and like, and uh, and and he literally is just like, "Well, I'm Daredevil, and uh, and uh, you, you'll see that this man uh, has has died of a heart attack. You'll like the autopsy will show that that was of natural causes. And um, uh, if you go down to this block, you'll find his associate who will uh, vouch for uh, the fact that they are a part of a gambling ring or whatever, and all this stuff. And <laughs> yeah. and, and the cops are are just straight up like." Yeah, all right. That sounds good. Yeah, good, <laughs> yeah, good enough. For, good enough for me, Mister Daredevil. Yeah, <laughs> literally not suspicious of like the Devil Man in the See, this <laughs> standing is, this next is, to a dead body. This like, is like what I was talking about. Then we were talking about like pre nine eleven action movies. Like this is very much like a pre nine eleven comic book moment, right? Where it's just yeah. like, like I, I guess like the assumptive good that people just had for situations. And then like after 9-11, it's just like, no, why would anything be good ever again? Like, obviously yeah. everything's going to be fucking terrible for the rest of our, our miserable existences, you know? Exactly. And, yeah. and it's just like, oh, the, the ramifications of this one moment, whereas here it's just like, oh, po- poor little fella, his ticker gave out, you know? And it's just like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he must be telling the truth, you know? Like, yeah, it's yeah. like, it's that kind of shit. Like, I, I think the only other moment that I... um that was goofy fun in this one was when it showed before Karen shows up when it shows foggy uh interviewing the possible uh secretaries for them and like and he's just like put slowly putting his head more on the desk because they're all just like terrible you know <laughs> like, oh dude yeah that that's like always a point of contention I see that meme all the time about like how fucking lazy it is for comic book artists to just like redraw the same panel just to tell a joke. Yeah. I personally <laughs> think that's fucking hilarious and, I think like, it's funny <laughs> it, it, they did a great job of like making fun of that comment in invincible right when oh, they were, yeah, talk- when they yeah. were talking about that specific moment no it's man, when he com- goes to meet com- uh bendis or something yeah fake book, bendis right? yeah, <laughs> yeah, <it's>, yeah. <laughs> and no man fucking comedy's all about timing and uh those panels absolutely crush timing exactly <laughs> dare devil yellow issue three came out again according to marvel september 30th 2001 chapter titled stepping into the ring Matt, Foggy, and Karen get their first clients when the Fantastic Four drop in to hire them on retainer for patents and lease paperwork. Foggy later teases Matt for something he said, but Karen sticks up for him, saying how they should all be proud of how brave and confident he was talking to the Fantastic Four, of all people. The three go out to Foggy and Matt's old college dive bar. While there, some college kids are being assholes and start telling Helen Keller jokes directly to Matt's face. They accept Foggy's challenge to a game of pool at five bucks a ball, and Matt cleans them out while finishing every blind joke they start. Matt puts Foggy and Karen in a cab home and meets the college kids who are waiting to fight him in the alley next to the bar and beats them to a pulp. He visits Slade in prison and tries to learn who hired the man to kill his father, but out of fear, he refuses to name his employer. Back at the law offices, a beautiful and mysterious woman comes in looking for legal help. She's done terrible things to protect her husband, who she calls a good and important man. Someone has learned her secret and is blackmailing her. Regretting her decision to ask for help, she scurries away in a panic. Later that day, a man comes to the offices and rebukes the woman's story and tries to hire Nelson and Murdoch for himself. This man is someone that longtime comic book readers will recognize as the owl. 
Yep. Um, first things first, the owl fucking sucks. Like, I just gotta throw that out there. I'm not I'm not a fan. I I loved him as like a sniveling piece of shit in the Bendis run, but like Yeah. God, what a worthless character. I personally I, think I, it's like him and Arcade from Murder World are like the two characters that like when I see them in a book, I'm like, Ugh. he's Can't. one of the gangster characters who got better when they stopped uh making him like a super villain. Like he he was he's much better as just like a gangster guy who looks like an owl. A, like, gener- you know, like, a generalized piece of shit. Like uh, yeah. Like, like the I don't owl see him. like joking that he looks like an owl replaces the like, oh hey, tubby. Like it replaces like fat jokes, right? Yeah, yeah. And and also like just the fact that like I don't want to see him flying around and shit mm-hmm. <laughs> doing whatever he does. Yeah. Grabbing people with talents. Weird like, three piece suit that's always yeah. fucking green. Yeah, the owl sucks, that's for sure. Uh I will say, um, another person who uh sucks at least to Matt and Foggy in this book. I mean, I love him, but like this interpretation of the thing is fucking hilarious. Oh, like, dude, I I <laughs> I agree page. slash disagree because he's such a fucking weirdo in this book, and I'm like, why didn't we get a Fantastic Four color book? That would have been great, right? Because they or they did Challengers of the Hill. Unknown, right? And yeah. so it's just like, oh, this is just better Challengers of the Unknown. <laughs> I would have so loved to have seen a book just drawn by Tim Sale that was Fantastic Four book. Like it, it's like I. I love how he looks and he's just like, he's just so mean mugging and he's a dick to Al- it, like, he just sticks his head. Like he breaks their window and shit. And he's just like, which one of you is this? <laughs> is foggy, which one of you is more doc, you know? Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, and even Reed and them are just like, just like Ben, there's a door. Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> he's just terrible to bring around people, which is funny, but <laughs> this book, I only felt a couple quotes from it at the beginning I think this quote's really interesting where he says, I admit I actually entertained the idea they had discovered my secret, that I was New York's newest superhero, Daredevil, that I mattered to them. So this is a two-part quote. I think that is fucking fascinating because Peter does what he does out of like a sense of guilt. You know, Hulk does what he does out of a, I guess, a sense of necessity, right? It's like he has a choice, right? Yeah, he he... doesn't have a choice. Yeah, exactly. And then Daredevil's here just for like a fucking good time, right? Like he's (laughs) He thinks it's cool that he can do the things that he wants. You know, he kind of, he, like he said, he kind of revels in it where it's like, he's like, he's like, you know what? I am fucking cool and I'm badass, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like it's like extremely a... handsome in the suit. Yeah. 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 Uh, but he follows that up with uh, the way you said, I think we should be proud of what he did today. I forgot all about the Fantastic Four and what they thought on that day. I mattered to you. I don't want to be disrespectful when I say this. Matt's kind of a slut. Like he's, he's <laughs> oh, dude, yeah, or, or a simp, like whichever he is, just he's a real love the one you're with kind of guy. No, yeah, I mean, he he will he will put it out there, for, yeah, for whatever you know. I mean, like, uh, it, that's that's part of his uh, his character for sure, is like, and and also why, like, his you know, attempts at romance never really pan out a lot of the time, you know, yeah, <laughs> like it's like he's just he get he in in classic Catholic fashion, classic not great Catholic fashion. He he gives into the temptations in like the worst ways, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, I believe every writer I read where they're just like, no, uh, Karen was his one true love. No, actually Electra was his one true. It's like, actually black widow was his one true love. Like they're, (laughs) they're all like such convincing arguments that like, I'm not actually sure which one to believe, you know, because they all vaguely make a lot of sense. 
it's 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 really personal preference at that point yeah right <laughs> it's just like it, it, who's, who's the writer and the artist like they just like meet up and they're like okay, rock paper scissors shoot oh uh, black yeah. widow this time it's gonna be yeah. it's gonna be <laughs> b, b dubs for us tonight yeah <laughs> uh, i also do love that that whole moment where um uh you know matt has like the gumption to tell reed like not to call him mr murdoch oh dude, and, yeah <laughs> and like really Really interesting stuff. Sorry, I accidentally punched my mic, and I'm not a good enough audio editor to uh, take care of that. So I'm sorry, listener. That's good. Um, really interesting, like a theme almost that runs throughout this book is like names, right? Because like this is where like it's in the first issue. It's like, oh, it's, I used to be battling Jack Murdoch. Now I'm the kid Murdoch, which is like an ironic name, and like he just wanted to be called battling Jack, right? And then yeah. in this issue, it's just like, oh no, please call me Matt. He's like, Mr. Murdoch is so. Mr. Murdoch. Yeah. And then Foggy makes that same joke about like, you know, call me Foggy because Mr. Nelson. So Mr. Nelson. And then uh like the fact that Karen has like an inability to call them anything but Mr. Nelson and Mr. Murdoch. Yeah, Karen uh, won't do it no matter how many times they tell him. Yeah, or they tell her. Yeah. It's like uh it it is kind of a theme throughout the whole story, which is interesting. Right, that's, that's the last thing I gotta say about that issue. Ready to jump okay. into the next one? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready, man. Oh, oh I just say the only, the only other the, the big moment that made me go fuck yeah, and this was when uh, there it was before they they play the uh, the bros at the uh, pool hall bar, mm-hmm. and uh, and and Foggy's like you know talking them up like you know like hey let me play you I'll play you with my blind friend blind friend you know five bucks a ball fellas and uh, and then it just that close up of Matt and he just goes rack them Foggy. <laughs> <laughs> uh it made me feel guilty for every helen keller joke i thought was funny when i was 11 years old uh around the time of this comic coming out actually he shuts them down he shuts them the hell down though it's it's great yes (laughs) yeah i remember making a helen keller joke in tennis practice when i was in high school just because i was you know i thought it was funny and edgy and it was before i read this book and uh i remember my coach maybe like runs so many fucking laps because of the joke i made like just running around four tennis courts for like 20 minutes basically and uh i came to this book probably like six months after that and i was just like oh i get, I it, get now. it now yeah i understand this lesson of empathy why didn't i find you sooner <laughs> uh don't make helen keller jokes i think is the moral of, of that story they're they're not funny and they're not especially nice be, be nice to people it's not hard exactly yeah as long as we can grow and learn yeah that's, uh hope so <laughs> daredevil yellow issue four again comes out according to marvel limited october 31st 2001 chapter titled never lead with your left matt murdoch stops by the baxter building to review some paperwork for reed richards and catches electro stealing documents the two fight but the high voltage and electro's punches tire him out more than expected after electro leaves daredevil follows him to radio city music hall and fights him on the catwalk above the stage where the rockettes are rehearsing daredevil knocks him out and every dancer below flirts with him because he's a fucking babe yeah (laughs) he returns to the office where foggy is annoyed that karen wasn't paying attention as new york's new superhero daredevil just whizzed by their window the three go bowling and karen and matt have an intimate moment as she teaches him how to do it correctly later that night matt murdoch attends the execution of his father's murderer slade matt living in his father's old apartment cries while touching a photo of his father Matt enters his office and finds a nervous Foggy pacing back and forth, waiting for Karen to return from delivering papers to the owl and admits to Matt that he plans to propose to Karen. Okay, so I know we're probably going to jump around a bit on this one, but we just got to get this out of the way. 
what the fuck is Foggy thinking? What is he thinking? Yeah, that was like, the first thing I wanted to talk about, too. Like, dude, you said eight words to this woman, so you think you can fucking propose to her? Uh, that, they ain't even a... been on a date, dude. Yeah. Like, it's like, I, like, <laughs> you, you had a fucking tag along to bowling, man. Like, what are you talking about? You think this like, is a good idea? On, you dude. fucking idiot. You went to law school. How could For you real? possibly think this is smart? Jesus Christ. Yeah, this is this is kind of the moment where I realized I was like, besides like maybe the last conversation that they have in the book, Foggy in this book is like, I'm just like, there's nothing really to like about you, Foggy. <laughs> in this in this particular book, at least, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm just like, he kind of sucks. He seems like <laughs> a good like, friend, but a bad person. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You're just like, yeah, man. Damn it, not even Foggy. not even a bad person, but just like a dude who doesn't get it. Yeah, like I, yeah, yeah. I don't want to say he's bad, but like, how the fuck could he possibly think it was a good idea to propose to Karen? They've had like four interactions, and it like it is like you know showing and not telling, blah blah blah. Like we, what happened off panel, whatever. But yeah. like, they're the fact that like she hadn't shown him any affection or like barely any attention at all, and he still thought this was a good idea. Yeah, it's something. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but other than that, um, you gotta say I love the electro fight i love his justification for like because he gets beat at the baxter building basically by electro electros like oh yeah i'll let you live to you know tell the tell everybody how evil and good i am or whatever you know and the star spangled badass i am yeah. yeah yeah and then and then daredevil's like goes after him and he's like just thinking the whole time about like how i don't know why i did it you know, like I, I, but I, but I followed him and I went and that's when he, you know, yeah, goes to Radio City Music Hall, meets the Rockettes, flirts with all of them and stuff. Like even before the fight's over, he like swings over him and he's like, ladies, you know, <laughs> and like, and then, and then they all flirt with him. And like, it's so funny too. And that scene where they're flirting with him because like he's like standing over Electra's unconscious body. Like he like the body's right there. Yeah, and he's just like, <laughs> they're, and they're all just one like, of oh, you should call the cops. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're all like, they're like, wow, his muscles are so big. He's hot, you know, and all this stuff. And <laughs> Mr. Daredevil, like, do you have a girlfriend? It's just like, uh... and this is this is like the scene that I think of though when we were talking about that dichotomy and Matt Murdock's, uh, you know, kind of personas here because it's like he eats that shit up. He loves it. Oh, he yeah. loves like he's like riding high after that. That's the whole reason why he like. Uh, later, like right after in the issue, when he kind of is like, "Well, I'll tag along with bowling and stuff like that." Like he's all he's all flirting with Karen, kind of because he's like he's he's confident right now, you know. Like mm-hmm. he feels good. He's he's feeling himself. <laughs> uh, a quote appeared twice in this book that I think was interesting, where he says, "When you're young, you think you're going to live forever." And uh, man, I didn't think fucking twice about that when I first read that quote at age 15 or 16, whenever I first read this book. <laughs> but man, as 32, I walk, I try to walk like four miles a day. You know, I got to get my steps in. And uh, goddamn, does my knee hurt after I do that, Nick? And um, <laughs> feels like I just replace like all my cartilage with fucking bubble wrap or whatever and just pops every time I do anything. And it's just like, yeah, you're. You really did think you were going to live forever. That's why I smoked so many fucking clove cigarettes living in Europe. Because I'm like, this is never going to matter. <laughs> <laughs> I totally I walk, feel I, I feel walk upstairs. Too, and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember if it's the first or second time. But that moment when Karen helps him bowl, like, you know, he, he lets her help him, you know, because he's like throwing gutter balls, obviously, on purpose. But but like uh, uh, when she helps him. And he hits the one pin and she hugs him. And it's that full page of her hugging him. And well, also, it's also just a funny page because Foggy looks so fucking mad in the back. 
but uh but yeah and then in the corner just subtly it says that when you're young you think you'll live forever and it's like mm-hmm. that moment of like the first time that she hugged him and he goes on to talk about how like it's like your heart it felt like it was like in mine or touching mine and stuff like that and it's like it's really touching stuff well that i another line about that in a second but like the fact that he repeats that line when you're young you think you're gonna live forever and that's him fighting electra at the beginning right and then he says yeah. it he says it again when he's with karen right so the fact that like both those things had like equal weight impressing upon him right it's just like oh fuck like this is actually like we joke about him being a slut and a simp and just kind of like going whichever way the wind blows but like when he cares about something like it's hard not to believe him right well and i th- i think that's the i think that's why he can never why he doesn't change or like a good character reason as to why he doesn't change because like it's not like he is you know running around with a bunch of different like women just because like he he wants to do that it's that like he he does care about the person he lets he he can't feel anything other than like the passion in the moment you know like when he's in ter- in terms of romantic yeah. Uh, romantic feelings and like i don't think that he i mean there have been stories where he's done stuff you know like and and it ends up being like kind of ill intent but like he definitely uh like he he just feels that and he's honest about it like it's not like you know oh he's he's just you know a floozy mm-hmm. <laughs> like on purpose at least that that line you're talking about he says i'll never forget that night karen it was the first time i felt your body press against me it was like it was like your heart was pounding right inside of mine. And that is really sweet. But really quickly, let's jump back to issue one, where uh, he's talking about his dad dying. (laughs) And he says, I don't know if I actually heard the shot. Maybe I dreamt it. All I knew is that something was wrong. It was like I couldn't feel my dad's heartbeat anymore. And he had talked about like the heartbeat being inside him the same exact way about his father that he does with Karen. Yeah, I think is either sweet if you're just like oh he just like immediately grappled this person into his family or i'm not qualified to talk about it um (laughs) men will literally write letters to their dead ex-girlfriends instead of going to therapy i think is like the obvious joke to make right there it's it's just like really heavy shit that like you're not expecting from like what's supposed to be like a picturesque memory right like of the silver age of 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 the early bronze age so this is silver age right this is like the first 10 issues of daredevil or whatever yeah yeah i mean like well and you can kind of chalk that up to though as well with the uh, it's kind of a stereotype of daredevil but he you know it's the idea of like anybody who he lets in gets hurt Mm -hmm. and like i think that that might be the parallel they're going for or maybe it was just like an accidental kind of similarity you know but like the fact that it's like they are the two people who die in the story and they're the ones that the story is about and he and those are the only two that he ever did that with in yeah. the confines of the six issues. So it's like and the um, pe- yeah. people he loved the most, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It just reinforces that idea. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is one thing I think was interesting to like you. You mentioned earlier talking about uh, like his psyche. I think is the word you use. But he has a line where he's like visiting the execution of Slade. And he says, the lawyer part of me wanted to know what an execution was like. The good son wanted to see it through to the end. And I think mm-hmm. it's really interesting that like he doesn't mention the superhero part of him at all. Right. Like he, he doesn't mention the Daredevil character. He's, he's literally just a lawyer and a son in this moment. Like there's no where he talked about like, you know, the the pursuit of uh, justice where, or where justice had fallen short. Like yeah. that wasn't what this was about. This was like literally for Matt Murdock could not have given fewer shits about Daredevil. Yeah, I, I think that he 
he has to draw that line in a way to live with what he does, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, and yeah, I mean, like that's a, that's a powerful scene too. Just in the fact that like, I mean, he's watching a man, you know, get killed and it's like, and, and it's sort of his doing, but it's also like, this is, this is the justice he's fought for, but does it work? Does it mean anything? You know, like it's a, I, I think that, there's a lot to like ponder there and it's fascinating too, because they're so kind of throughout the entire book. I mean, we've talked about how Loeb like can say a lot with very little. And, uh, that scene is there's, there's tons of stuff you can dissect out of that. Like just in that realm of like, you know, the, the dichotomy of daredevil's personas and, and, uh, you know, his idea of like, what does Matt Murdoch believe like true justice is, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, and it, it, it's not answered because I don't think it's something that he can answer himself. I think you're right. I think you're, I think you hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> There's uh, two more things I want to talk about before we move on to the next issue. One, I got a line here. Villains would talk a lot back then. He says this while he's fighting a lecture in the beginning. They didn't leave innocent women in a pool of blood. I guess I haven't really thought about it, but the ones in costume never used to kill anybody. And like, this is where I think the book like really clicked for me as being additional to the then current Daredevil book. And uh, last line, um, do you go bowling very often? Not uh, not often. I don't either. And where I live, where I, I'm, I'm back in my hometown, and uh, I actually only have candle pin bowling here, which is like with a bowling ball the size of like a softball, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's why like, I still refer to it as big ball bowling, and my girlfriend still makes fun of me. She's like, you can just call it bowling. Like, that's that's called bowling you need to say you need to say candle pin when you talk about your shitty bowling uh i looked it up uh foggy had a quote about like i think i could break 180 tonight like he was so like he was was so impressed with like his score and i looked up the average bowling score for a non-beginner who goes less than 10 times a year and uh that is between 140 and 170 according to rookieroad.com so um sounds reputable Good for Foggy. Like, I feel like that's like the equivalent of like someone who like normally does like 10 pushups being like, I'm going to go for 12 today. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that was, that was him like pushing his envelope. And I love that. Like he was supposed to like, like if he had had a moment where he had like hit on Karen at that, at the bowling alley, like then like his, his proposal idea wouldn't have been like such a fucking blindside across the face. But the fact that he was like, so into his fucking score that night, I'm like, <laughs> I can't take you seriously, man. Like you don't give a shit about this chick. Like you just think she's hot. Yeah. And that like, uh, this is like what you're supposed to do, but it's, it's exactly. not what you should do. Yeah, exactly. No. Yeah. Foggy, you're going about it all wrong. Yeah. Daredevil yellow issue five came out November 30th, 2001, according to Marvel limited. And it is titled against the ropes. Karen still hasn't returned from delivering that paperwork to the owl and Foggy and Matt are worried. Matt climbs to the top of the Empire State Building as Daredevil and drowns out all the noise, all the distractions, and finds Karen's voice. He follows it and finds her trapped in a cage being held by the owl to blackmail Nelson and Murdoch. He frees her and tells her to run, but the owl returns. The two have a drag-out fight that ends up over New York Harbor. Daredevil knocks the owl unconscious and he falls to the water below, narrowly escaping himself. Safely back at her office, she retells her story to Matt, sounding almost in love with Daredevil. Foggy approaches with a bouquet of roses, overhearing her affection for another man. He turns around, walks out of the office, and throws his flowers away. That flower... I mean, that's the right, that, right move, Foggy. Yeah, that flower tossing away <laughs> sequence, uh, fucking beautiful. Again, we talked about like the repeated panels. And yeah. he just like draws like the architecture of him like uh, walking out the office, and you can see like Matt and... 
and Karen like kind of dancing and as like silhouettes to the window. Really beautiful page. Tim Sale fucking crushed it on this book. He really did. Yeah. I, uh, oh, that image of him on top of the Empire State Building is awesome too yeah. at the very beginning. Like it's a, that's just, yeah. This one, Ma- this issue masterful. might be my favorite in terms of the art. There's just a lot of standout moments. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I think I want to give the edge to the next issue just because I'm a sucker for gimmicks and there's a really good gimmick in the next issue. Yeah, um, yeah. I, but <laughs> so, but th- this issue is like really kind of special, right? Just because like you get to see him fight the owl. I think this is the first time I've ever been like not scared of the owl because like I could guess how it was going to turn out. But like the, the first time I thought he was like at least like semi-formidable. Right. Yeah, yeah, he does like almost get the better of him. I mean, um, he, I, and you know, with the exception of like my, <laughs> my cynical, uh, brain towards the owl, um, would read his quotes and, and just imagine him going, hoo hoo, like afterwards and stuff like that. Like, you know, <laughs> but, like, but, but he is like, you know, he's, he's a good match for Daredevil at this point, especially with him being, you know, as inexperienced as he is. Um, and plus, like, Matt is like, when he arrives, uh, to get Karen, he's so like, showboaty and confident it's like yeah like you know it's like you, you forgot that this is like a real threat you know like yeah. and so it's like you can imagine him getting one up on him he also fucks up and uh and calls karen by her name oh yeah class he... one of my favorite things where people like <laughs> accidentally give themselves away in anything yeah whereas just like oh yeah like well just check under like you know is his, his sock drawer it's like how'd you know is in his sock drawer you know just like when in, in some dumb bullshit movie it's just like oh don't worry karen everything's gonna be okay how'd you know my name's karen it's just like he gives like the worst <laughs> line too because he's like he's like oh uh, that's easy karen i've seen you in my dreams ever since i can remember oh my and god yeah and she's like oh i thought you overheard that woman talk to me it's just like yeah, that's probably what I should have said. Like you could, you could like tell like mentally that was what he was thinking. Yeah, that's <laughs> a better like, idea. Yeah. Like, that was way fucking smarter. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, the the woman who he she's she's talking to that is the woman from like the previous issue who comes in telling the story about her husband who's a good man. I still don't really understand this subplot, but I I haven't read a lot of Silver Age Daredevil, so like I'm sure it's like I don't want to say sure a, key, a key issue, but like I'm sure it's a very specific thing they're referencing that didn't make yeah. a lot of sense then. It, it kind of makes sense in the context of this story if you just imagine her as kind of like you know oh she's the the noir like you know story dame femme fatale yeah. yeah yeah and then you're like oh okay like I mean you know she doesn't I don't need much more explanation for that I guess yeah you but know? There, there's some there's some foreshadowing here because that woman says to Karen you don't understand someday someday you'll have a secret and you'll see how much it's worth to you and that I think is a direct fucking reference to her selling out the identity of Daredevil to Kingpin in Born Again. Yeah, I mean, like, and, and there's no way it's not because, like, uh, like Loeb and Sale have have that reference at this point, you know, and mm. it's like you're talking about the most iconic, like, possibly the most iconic Daredevil story, like, ever. So it's like, I mean, they're they're gonna they're gonna do something with that, especially did, since I, it involves. I, I fucking I fucking wrote about that book in high school. I wrote like an English paper on that book about like, yeah. this, like with like a theme of like metamorphosis. Like, <laughs> yeah, like that was a pretty important book because it was also like unique enough where you, like you could get away with shit like that in 2006. Which, yeah, yeah, which was which was rad. Thank you, thank you, uh, Miss Muzzy, for letting me do that. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, wait, wait. Um, I will. I think the only other thing that I wanted to point out was, I think the possibly the cutest moment in this very cute series uh is when karen is describing daredevil to matt and she's like 
punch in the air, like you know, pretending like oh you yeah, seen no, she has, yeah, she has like the like 1930s style or like like the put up your dukes. Well, type that thing. or like like the the boxing nun like hand puppet, which was like a toy that existed when I was a child. I don't know if you remember it, but it was yeah. just like it was such like a stilted fucking like pose that she had and she yeah god it was really cute it reminds me of um kevin costner's wife in field of dreams right after she like rips that blonde chick apart at the pta meeting this is a yeah. really specific <laughs> reference and i'm sorry uh if it's lost on you or, or lost on any listeners i've but seen that movie but it's yeah, gonna be just like time. boxing down the hallway and it's just like like there's no other word to describe it besides spunky <laughs> right? yeah yeah like, like- yeah, no, that's a good that's a good term to describe it. And I mean, like, but yeah, it's like she she's punching and like telling her she's like she's like oh when he moves he moves like this and then she like punches too hard and like almost knocks herself over and he catches yeah. her you know and like and it's like it's like oh you know that's really cute like I don't know I like that <laughs> it 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 makes uh it makes Karen more um uh, more likable to me than you know she typically is at least in like I'm I'm really stories. glad you brought that up because like <laughs> even I was like it's like oh she looks really cute in that panel and yeah. I didn't want to bring it up I'm like I, like I don't know Nick super well I don't want to think of a fucking weirdo no, no, <laughs> so no, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm glad one of us was brave enough to actually mention the thing they cared about on this podcast. it's like it's like a rom-com moment you know it's oh, exa- yeah, exactly it's, yeah. it's, like... it's like wait this chick eats chicken wings oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Daredevil Yellow issue six comes out December 31st, according to Marvel Unlimited 2001 uh, chapter is called The Final Bell. One thing I think is also interesting. Point out, did you read this on Marvel Unlimited? Uh, no, I had it. Um, I, I have a copy of it somewhere That's here, right. but I I read it on my uh, um, I just read it on Comixology, I think. OK, I love reading these on Marvel Unlimited because they have the dates and sometimes they're right, which is really convenient for me <laughs> yeah, and, nice. in, the, yeah. in the work I try to do. <laughs> But there is a whole bunch of like printing errors where like chapters were like repeated on the cover. And so like I think really? on Daredevil Yellow Six, like it was called Against the Ropes on the cover. But then like once you open the inside, it was called the final bell. Like there was just like like as someone who writes copy for a living, I work in advertising, as someone who like used to do layout for a newspaper, I'm like, that's a pretty bad fuck up. Um don't know how that one got past like the copy <laughs> editor there. Marvel is no uh no stranger to uh typo fuck ups oh my god yeah we, we, we love a good no prize yeah yeah <laughs> all right wonder if they'll do that i actually sorry side tangent no, here, please, like please. uh but i did just see actually recently i was gonna bring it up as well uh um they're releasing a gallery edition of this book oh like in it. the next like in the next couple months or something it comes out and uh <laughs> well what if there's just some typos in that shit that'd be great i'd love that <laughs> Yeah, actually, I don't think we've even mentioned this in the podcast. Tim Sale actually like recently passed away, like in the past couple months. Yeah, we lost him. It's very sad. It's I, I super sad, man. Like I thought we were still gonna get like a couple more color books. Not that like you know he equals his, his work. That, that's not what I'm trying to say. But like he just seemed like so young. And like how many other comic book artists? Like we we've lost a ton. Don't get me wrong, but like it seems like they also like lived so long and like we got to produce art during every major stage of their life right like a, a book that like stanley yeah. wrote in his 80s was different than a book he wrote in his 20s you know and so like just like seeing the man change as, as they worked on things was always fascinating and it's yeah just, he was definitely it was definitely uh, too soon for tim sale um i i really regret it too because of the fact i mean not to make it about like you know my fucking you know dumbass experience but like it, it's <laughs> like i i had an opportunity to meet him at a new york comic-con in like 20 17 i think was when i went and like uh i went to his table twice 
And both times he had a note on there that said he would be back at that time. And I didn't go back either time. And I really regret it. No, he <laughs> was at a comic con. I went to, and I was just like, ah, oh, that line's kind of long. I should, I, sh- I shouldn't just wait in line. Like, you know, I drove an hour to be here and in hindsight, I'm like, dude, it was only a fucking hour that you drove yeah. to, to be there. I like, even, I even brought my uh, captain America white issue zero for him to sign. And I, I didn't, I didn't get it signed. And that's a, that's a regret of mine, but yeah, uh, you know, it's, it, it sucks, but you know, it's worse that he's not around anymore. <laughs> a thousand percent, a thousand percent. Um, Daredevil yellow six, December 31st, 2001, the final bell. Karen reads Matt news of Daredevil's escapades, the paper. When foggy appears, I rate that nobody is working and he has to answer the phone himself. Nelson and Murdoch have been the court-appointed attorneys for a man named Zebediah Kilgrave, a.k.a. the Purple Man. That Matt goes, this piece of <laughs> shit. I can't say the Purple Man without going that motherfucker. <laughs> like, well, especially like, like a timeout from, the, uh, from the, the summary here. My girlfriend bless her could not give fewer shits about comics she comes on when like someone else who's supposed to be on the podcast couldn't make it and she's yeah. always been like such a trooper like reads reads like every new avengers issue i ask her to read <laughs> and it, it's just like such a good sport but she like really doesn't care you know but like the one thing she like especially cared about was the jessica jones series the yeah. the, the netflix one and she like thinks Kilgrave is like one of the most terrifying but like fascinating villains to the point where like she doesn't like I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. She doesn't like Doctor Who. But like whenever she sees David Tennant and I'm like watching Doctor Who, she's like, oh, it's fucking Kilgrave. And she'll like sit there and be like that fucking guy. And she'll Dude, just he, like stewing it. You know, <laughs> he, did, he did a great job depicting that character. And she is correct. He is one of the most like viscerally frightening, like comic book superhero villains ever, I think, because he's so easy to fucking hate and he's and he's scary. <laughs> <laughs> like, but also, like, it, like, I think part of the scary part is that, like, it's fucking David Tennant who's like charming. And yeah, so, like, yeah. as you're watching the show, you're like kind of falling under the spell of Kilgrave because, like, this is like a relatively handsome, if not outright handsome dude who's like got a nice accent and it, like, you know, is in yeah. work that you like relate to positively. So, like, as a fan, I'm like, oh, it's, it's David Tennant. Like, what's, yeah. what's not to love about David Tennant? And then all of a sudden, <laughs> and he I does realize, like the most irredeemable shit ever. yeah and then yeah, i realized like, like oh no I, I'm, I'm being purpled right now like that yeah. was the point yeah <laughs> exactly yeah matt goes to the cell where he's being held and karen tags along kilgrave uses his powers of persuasion to release himself from prison and mind control the guard and karen he leaves the young woman and attempts to lock murdoch behind matt knocks out the guard and reappears as daredevil meeting karen and kilgrave on the steps of the courthouse he controls more guards to open fire on Daredevil while he gets in a taxi with Karen. Once out of range, the guards snap out of it, completely unaware of what they'd just done. Matt tracks him down to the Four Seasons, and a fight breaks out. To give himself time to get away, Kilgrave orders Karen to jump out the window, which she does, but she is caught promptly by Daredevil. In his arm, she tells him that if he really wants to look more like a devil, he should dress in more red, her favorite color. I love Kil- that moment. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Time out here. I have a note here. Did you think of like the 1978 Superman movie where she is like interviewing Superman on the roof and like, you know, she asked her like, what color is my underwear? If you have x-ray vision, he's like, oh, I, I can't. She's like, oh, I'm embarrassing. He's like, no, that planner you're standing behind. It must be lead. I, I can't see through lead. Yeah. And then, and then she moves around <laughs> and he just goes pink. And she's like, what? Your underwear. It's like, yeah. sorry, Miss Lane, I didn't mean to embarrass you. And then, like, you know, they're talking for a few minutes, and then she's just like, Do you like pink? 
Yeah. And then he, he <laughs> fucking Chris Reeves, like movie star shit, is just like, I like Pink very much, Lois. Like, that's like one of my favorite comic book movie moments ever because it's so fucking weird it is, and stupid. It is great. Yeah, and yeah. it just <laughs> it just feels like that moment. Like they figured out a way to do it where you kind of like subconsciously think about it, but you don't like overtly think about it unless you're a fucking loser who does a podcast and no, you, I, you I, think it's your fake job to think about it. <laughs> no, I love that. I love that comparison. And I also just love the fact that the whole time the book is called Daredevil Yellow and Karen's like, the fuck are you doing in yellow? You know, like it's like, it's like and, and and it really it really puts the perspective of the color choice in mind. Whereas, like, I feel like, uh, well, maybe we'll do this in the overall, but just the idea of it being called Daredevil Yellow, I have a couple of ideas of my, or my personal interpretation of it at least. You know, okay. and it's uh, it's it's interesting, but yeah, <laughs> like, cool. I, I hope they're good interpretations because, like, I was wondering, like, what am I going to call this episode? I was like. Oh, yeah. yellow bellied like that's kind of lame <laughs> don't do that also his belly's red like that doesn't even make sense <laughs> like, yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> anyways let's, let's wrap this up Kilgrave tries to get past them but daredevil grabs a flag and covers him so no one else can fall under his aura back at the offices foggy tries to tell matt that he won't get in matt's way of karen matt plays the fool but when karen tells them both that she has a date that night with the electrifying daredevil and isn't interested in either of them, their friendship seems saved. Matt says goodbye to Karen in his final letter to her. And that's Daredevil yeah. Yellow. I, I I left some things out, but that's um that's why you should read the book so you can you can get the, the smaller details I missed. Exactly. Yeah. No, and uh, I, I I will say too that that little detail of um when she's telling them that she's meeting Daredevil um is the uh first uh and only time that she calls them by their first names finally. <laughs> yeah yeah that was when she finally got over the hump and she's, she's like the yeah. identity crisis was, was solved or whatever yeah good yeah st- and good stuff and it's kind of neat too that like you know at the the epilogue there he he buys the gym and calls it battling jacks and stuff and it's like uh it's it, you know and you see him in the red suit and it's after you know him reflecting on when he chose the red suit because karen said that you know she would prefer red or whatever mm-hmm. um I, I think that it's it's very symbolic, obviously, of like just like moving on or getting past like, you know, I I guess I'd call it the trauma of losing his dad. And uh, now it's like he's trying to figure out how to move on for the person who helped him move on, which is very touching. You know, I got a quote from that. <clears throat> when I began writing to you, I felt as if I had lost something. But in the end, I think I'd like to think I had found something forgiveness. All this time, I don't think I ever forgave myself for what happened to you. How I've carried around inside of me the guilt of knowing that if you hadn't walked into our offices that day looking for a job, you might be alive today. Right? And it's just like him, like, actually, like, having a cathartic moment of release. Right? And, like, these letters giving him the opportunity to talk to her. I I guess, like, I made the joke earlier, but, like, almost like a therapist, right? Like, actually, like, being honest with her in a way that he wasn't fully honest with her in the comics. Right, but like yeah. now that now that she's not there to judge him, he could say it's a little cowardly. I, 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 I I'm not going to do that. Um, I, th- I think grief is hard and affects people in extremely different ways, and you can't presume to know how it would affect you with um, you know, superpowers. Yeah, so. well, in the fact too that like in the very first issue, he mentions like straight up top that like Foggy is like. <laughs> not making him but like basically was like you need to do this matt and like and he kind of seems like he thought it was a dumb idea mm-hmm. and then by the end he's like this actually helped you know like yeah. it's uh it, his his tone kind of changes and uh 
yeah, it, it really drives home the whole point and what really becomes the thesis of all of these color books after that, which is like, you know, the personal growth of like, you know, accepting like that, you know, you're not perfect. Even, even these super heroic guys who have all these like crazy abilities are not perfect and they can't be everywhere at once and they can't succeed all the time. Like it's like, it's a, it's a great lesson and uh, it's a great lesson, particularly for Matt Murdock, I think um, who struggles with that a lot. You like Captain America white. I can't remember. Is there a conceit uh, of like how the story is being told? Is it him writing a letter? I'm I'm presuming. Or... Well, he's kind of a, he's I don't remember if it's a letter, but I remember he's reflecting on uh, on Bucky and whatnot. Okay. And uh, and it's, um you know, it, but it has a, it, his has a lot more to do with, um you know, Bucky's like the focal, but like also the war and whatnot. And like it, it goes into kind of like what he's had to deal with you know in comparison to like you know the average person i guess and okay. uh and, and and so it's a yeah it's i don't remember though if it's um what the uh device was in particular it's been a while since i read it but uh that's why i need to do it for the show but yeah oh, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> can't, can't wait for that episode but yeah. uh like spider-man blue is him recording into cassette tapes for gwen stacy right yeah who, yeah who had passed away and then uh hulk gray was him talking to doc samson as like a therapy session mm-hmm. and then this was him writing letters to the uh recently deceased karen page uh and and so like i just i i wonder like i wonder if these books would still like work today Right. Because like you think about this, like the the fact that like death is such a a a crutch for these characters. Right. And like mm-hmm. it ad- it adds to adds to their pain and like their emotional distress in these books, which like make them fascinating. But I also wonder. I, I guess I wonder today if like that would be good enough or if we'd want something a little bit more earnest and sincere. Right. Like a like a story that was happening in real time as opposed to self-reflection. I mean, I think it's always uh, valuable to like have these type of books like being like sort of a nebulous like time frame and like just being a self-reflective thing. I mean, like uh, we don't get those very often, like even back then. I mean, like the color series was an outlier, you know, I mean, like when those books were coming out. But like, uh, you know, it's uh, I always appreciate the, the introspective ones. I mean, like, you know, it's it's those are the stories that like really become timeless and it's like it, it, i mean it, there's a reason why like you know when you're getting into any of these four characters that have one of these color books like they're probably in like the top 10 at least recommended for like first time readers yeah i'm you really know? glad i'm really glad you said that because that is definitely like a conversation i've had with carlos he talked about spider-man and the last comic shop where we talked about hulk where it's just like yeah this is in the first 10 i recommend oh actually this hulk gray that's in the first five i recommend people read just to like get a better picture of the hulk and this daredevil book we talked about like how many amazing daredevil runs there are i think like if you're like me and you don't actually enjoy reading silver age stuff that much like this is kind of like a really good shortcut to like understanding the general vibes of that book but like with a pretty good postmodern sensibility about it there there's one last line i'm I'm going to read or second to last line i'm going to read where he says i've fought a lot of foes through the years dr doom kingpin bullseye bullseye they wanted world domination to run criminal empires sought revenge all kilgrave wanted was you and somehow that seemed much much worse right like that there's not that level of introspection that you really see in a lot of silver age books, right? Like that just 
frankly wasn't a concern the way it is now where it's just like you care about like actual character motivations and mm-hmm. not even motivations but repercussions for for their motivations let alone like their actions and it's just i think this stuff could work today as like a rebuke to like silver age stories as like an actual explanation for silver age stories but i also wonder if just like the the simple framing device of these books would be kosher today not kosher as in like inappropriate but i i I guess like in in vogue today the way it was in the 2000s yeah i mean like it it probably would seem a bit more um basic i guess like nowadays you know if Mm -hmm. this was like a news story and whatnot but i still think it it hits appropriately so it's like if this came out now i would be like uh you know it, it feels a little like what i expected but it's still really good you know like it's a it it, uh, i don't know like um the fact that it is like 20 years old you know now is is kind of like yeah that in that endears it a little bit more i think like just looking back on it well the fact that like when when this book came out like (laughs) this book is as far away from today as like the dark phoenix saga was from when it came out right yeah (laughs) yeah exactly yeah it's like it's it's um it does add a bit of a uh, weight in the fact that it is like a little older and the fact that it still holds up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like if it came out now, I can't really say because I mean, like, you know, it's it's like, you know, a, a book that came out even just today, like on, I mean, and it's Wednesday we're recording, but like, you know, how it's like saying how classic is like you know this new single issue that i got today you know i mean it's like i don't really know yet you know <laughs> but no no but, that, that, that's a fair point that's a fair point but yeah no i i totally get where you're coming from though i mean like it's uh it, it would be it almost feels like it would need a bit more uniqueness um if it were to come out today or at least um contextually be a bit more relevant to today's society i guess well, it's just because like these books feel oddly timeless, but because of their conceit, they feel very much of a time. And so yeah, thinking about uh, how how a series like this could exist today. Was, it is a little a, odd. Yeah, was the reason I asked <laughs> just because like I like I said, I think these books are timeless. All these books we've talked about so far in Cats America White probably will be like a book that I'm like, oh, this should be in like the first eight books you read. First five books you read of, of Cats America if you're looking to get into the character. But just trying to figure out the mechanics of of where that fits into today's vernacular, I guess, for comic books is just like how effective is it? You know, if yeah. it's not if it's not one of the first five books you read, is it still good? Yeah, yeah, you know? no, and I and I would say I would say it definitely is at least, um, even if it doesn't land in like you know your top five or even top ten and whatnot. It it distills the character and um really um. I, I I don't know. It it ingratiates you into Daredevil and makes you uh uh you know it, I I don't see how you can walk away from this book and not like him as a character. You know, right. like yeah. it's like it's like you you should be able to relate to him on some level at least, uh, no matter what. You know, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It it totally works. Um, I have to bring up the elephant in the room for me, and that's the comparison to Man Without Fear. Oh because, please, yeah, like, <laughs> because this book, um. I had mentioned it up top, but like uh, when I first read this, this was like the inferior man without fear to me. Uh, It's so crazy to me how stylistically these books are so different, uh, yet they sort of tell like a similar story, like the early days of Daredevil, you know, Um, they just tackle that specific era. Um, 
man without fear is so ingrained in what Frank Miller had already done. And he was retroactively going back and like making his version of like the origin, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's so, it's so ingrained in my head <laughs> that like, when I read this, it feels like an alternate timeline or something, <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm like, I, and, and I mean, granted, like it would sort of have to be, I guess like, you know, cause like there are like, certain differences like you know that are just uh you know they, they don't line up timeline wise and whatnot um uh it, but you know like i said for example like you know in man without fear he's a kid when his father dies he's not in college you know and hanging out with foggy and stuff like that um uh, so there there are logistic things like that which you know i could see past and that doesn't bug me uh but like it's just like tonally so different you know it's like that book like tackles the idea of like matt dealing with like his rage you know, like it and, and that being like more of a part, almost like, you know, how like we talked about how the dichotomy of like Matt Murdock, the lawyer and Daredevil are two very different, starkly different personalities of Matt Murdock in Man Without Fear. It's like there's more of a clear cut connection between the two. And the difference is more just like how far he lets his rage come out, <laughs> you know, and it's like and it's interesting, like in, in looking at it that way. Um, I still think man without fear, I don't want to say trumps this because the creative team is so great. And this book is really great, but like, that's my daredevil origin. And this is kind of like a glossy, like kind of heartfelt version of that, that just like, um, it doesn't, um, it doesn't hit me exactly the same. And uh, again, too, though, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that I don't really, I don't care about karen very much sure, <laughs> and sure like sure. It, it's just never been a character that's connected with me uh, uh, on the on the level of like some of the others and um like it's just uh but but it's it's fascinating to read in the in the grand scheme especially of like the lobe sale like body of work um and and i think that conceptually it's great uh, there's mm. so many great i mean we went through so many great quotes and just like little nuggets that like really stick with you and like it's such worth a read i still i still would put it in the top half of the four color books for sure yeah um and it's uh definitely a worthwhile read overall no i i, I firmly agree and this is also like why we talk about the movies and the songs that were coming out when books come out because like the way you gravitate towards man without fear like that is like a fucking 90s ass book right like that is it, it is it is every tendency sure. that like that book was 93 90 92 93 to 94 i believe 94 um, on the okay. top of my head so that's like nirvana Nevermind, right like that that's <laughs> yeah. like that's like pearl jam that's fucking alice in chains like that was like as hip-hop was like really started to take over like mainstream culture right like that was like early jay-z shit that was you know, oh yeah yeah like, like th th that was when everything was like happening and then like this book uh this daredevil book itself is like very much like post-millennium retrospective where like it felt like you were leaving the past behind but let's take one last look at it before we do mm -hmm. right and there was like uh I'm, I'm not trying to make fun of that book because again i haven't finished it i've read like the first two issues several times but yeah struggle to get through the rest to be honest uh just because that, that book wasn't like in my vocabulary as a kid you know um but like the way this book is just like let, let's take one last glance at the way things were before we go where things are going mm -hmm. whereas 
Daredevil Man Without Fear from what I've read is just like, here's everything you fucking read about Daredevil was wrong, bitch. You're right. And then, <laughs> then it was just like reinventing. It's just like, no, let's make this more realistic. But realistic is such a relative term to when the that, book was coming out. That's the that's the dividing line is the fact that Man Without Fear is exactly what you said. It's a reinvention. It's not a retrospective like this is kind of, you know, like it's a that's that's the primary difference. And that's the primary differences in uh, Miller and sales approaches to these projects, obviously, is the fact that like, you know, they just they're just coming at it from completely different minds. Loeb and sale weren't trying to fucking reinvent the wheel here. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like and, and whereas Frank was like, this is going to be fucking, you know, thousand percent this is gonna be cool now you know like it's like it's so yeah i mean like you know from the makers of gasoline and terrorism comes frank miller john ramita jr yeah it's (laughs) it's exactly it so you know there are completely different you know there's there's a decade difference there's you know just an intention difference and so i totally get that it's just that you know when you're recapping though the same era of material yeah i can't help but compare it to oh yeah thing, no, you know they, what i mean like it's no, like, no wrong <laughs> answers yeah no a- a- absolutely but uh, i think you're right where like the objective was different let, let alone the the time period in, yeah. in which these things were made and the the oeuvre that people were drawing on for inspiration yeah. and the not even for inspiration but the things they didn't want it to be you know like th- this book very much feels like a rebuke of daredevil man without fear which feels very much like a rebuke of the 1960s. Oh, gee, Willikers, you know, like everything was just trying to be so fucking far from like, it was trying to be the diametric opposite of, of what we knew to be the truth before. Yeah. I think it's almost kind of funny too, like looking at it in retrospect, how beholden it is to what was recent continuity of Karen Mm -hmm. being killed just a couple years prior and how just tonally opposite this feels from, the casada era like daredevil you know yeah. <laughs> like it's just like it's just like okay well uh we're gonna acknowledge that but um this is the daredevil that like we want to write about you know <laughs> like yeah. and it's the the introspective one that you know everything from the 60s still happened <laughs> nick i think we talked the shit out of this book i think I, we did yes <laughs> i feel good wrapping up here do you want to give one last plug for none of my friends like comics please so people listening can hear your amazing voice and amazing insights on, on more comics of course no uh, thanks man um, but uh yeah um uh, I run a show called none of my friends like comics um it's really easy to find because it's a long name that no one else has and uh it's, <laughs> and uh, uh we're on like all the typical podcast places but yeah if you want to hear me talk um with some friends and family or uh, or other podcasters sometime uh just about books that they haven't read before and uh deep dive the story and uh, just talk about our opinions like we did today basically with george um uh yeah come over and give it a listen it's a fun time i'm taking a look at like a continuity era where like it's very specific like i'm trying my best to go in order this taking a look at the color series is because i'm fucking procrastinating because like there's something big i want to do for a house of m i yeah. just like don't know how to do it yet so i'm like stalling and that's why i'm talking about these books but if you just want to talk about like the biggest books or like the most important or most interesting books please check out none of my friends like comics you do such a good job of picking critical moments in the comic culture having interesting discussions about them and having really well-produced discussions about them. I love the way your podcast fucking sounds. Like, that, that's you. a Thank big you. thing for me. Like, the the 
audio fidelity on that is amazing. Uh, it's so much better than my show. And I'm so sorry to make you come down to my level where I just <laughs> no, lazily no, record the Zoom conversation. But goddamn, is it so much easier for my dumb brain and dumber fingers to do than, than jump into GarageBand and figure it out. Hey, I feel you, man. No, I, I totally feel you. It's it's it can be exhausting. But yeah, no, thanks. Thank you so much, George. I, I enjoyed so much coming on, man. And I'm uh, like I said, love your show as well. And like I'm very much looking forward to your House of M uh, coverage and whatnot. Uh, that's a that's a touchstone event for me. You know, I <laughs> so. might, uh, might send you a follow up message about how you could get involved. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. We'll, see. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Um, anytime man anytime yeah <laughs> thank you so much for being here nick if you made it this far you're officially one of the coolest fucking people i've ever I've ever <laughs> met thank you so much for listening uh please check out none of my friends like comics please rate none of my friends like comics please give them a follow please retweet when they talk about new episodes and please do all those things for shortbox summary it's it's super free and super easy for you to do and also Means a lot to us extremely helpful because the more people the show gets in front of, the more people that none of my friends like comments get in front of, the more cool, weird shit we can do, which, God, that'd be awesome. I just, I just yeah. want to get weird with this show. I don't know about you. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, of course. I just want to talk to some editors and, and, and some letters and be like, what were you thinking behind this sound effect panel? Um, yeah. <laughs> so, and it's just so much easier if we have a following to do that. The real hard-hitting questions. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> where, what's the origin of Thwip? And, <laughs> and why is it in hobo font in this particular issue of Amazing yeah. Spider-Man? Why is it in hobo standard size 42? I got to know. Um, I work in advertising. I'm a copy nerd. Anyways, thank you for <laughs> yeah. listening. Uh, we'll be back in your ear holes next week. And uh, please check out None of My Friends Like Comics. Talk to you soon. <laughs> <laughs>